This is exactly right. Okay, Lisa, picture this. You live in London. It's the 1920s. You've embraced your post-World War I independence, and you start dabbling in activities that were previously only for men, like driving. And do I have a chic chin-length bob? Obviously. And you carry a cigarette in one of those long holders. Okay, I love this for me. And I knew you would. And this isn't just a hypothetical. You can take on this persona when you play June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a New York socialite living in London. Her world is turned upside down when she learns of her sister's murder. June must immediately return to New York, and she has no idea that this is the first in a long line of troubling mysteries. You play June as she investigates design scenes set within lavish estates, and don't forget to keep an eye out for all the hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. So, listen, if you listen to our podcast, you obviously have detective skills, and now is your chance to test them. If you play enough, you could make it to the detective club, and there you can chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack this case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa. And I'm Kara. And you guys hopefully know what we do. We talk about an episode of Law & Order SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on. And then we interview a cool cat from the episode. I'm into Ooh, jazz now. I say you, cool cat. <laughs> I'm a cool cat. Yeah. Wait. You know my friend from my friend from high school who's like very cool? He started um, a, a sparkling wine spritzer called Cool Cat. This is not a paid advertisement. Oh, but yes. But he sent me some and it's delicious. I do remember that. But um, I like that as a term for our guests too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. But speaking of cool, I really want to know what you're up to. I know that you're at your you're in Chicago because you went to your niece's graduation. I just saw on your Instagram that she made a speech. I had no idea. So she was trying to surprise us, and then of course one of her brothers spilled the beans like day like a day before, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so a few people gave speeches. It's not classic, you know. It's a small Jewish school, so. Um, there's only 40 kids graduating, maybe 42. Oh, really? Yeah. So, Novak, there was like a couple welcome speeches, one in English, one in Hebrew, 
some other guy. I don't know. And then she did the, she was the last one to speak. So they all got diplomas and then she was the closing speech. Whoa, the closer. The closer. And she truly killed it. Benji was like, I was tearing up. I was like, I was tearing up. Like, (laughs) it was such a good speech and it wasn't based, I mean, I don't want to judge the other kids. I, some of her classmates do listen to the podcast. So... (laughs) I think I have to watch what I say. But listen, her speech was incredible. Everyone else was generic. Like one girl was like, you know, I was at, it it was Israel and it was golden hour and I didn't have my phone. And that's when I realized I have to be present. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. bitch, that's like not, that's what you decided to go with. Like it was like so basic. Like we're such a community. And then my niece just like nailed it. She was like, don't be conformist so you can all reach your full potential and all about individual. But then she did mention the Holocaust and I started laughing um, because (laughs) I don't know if we have to talk about the Holocaust, but um, it it was really funny. And then when I told her I laughed, she was like, what what do you mean? I was like, it's just funny that you said you mentioned the Holocaust to me. Um, But it made sense because, you know, she just mentioned that we're under attack. My mom just read an article in the AARP about anti-Semitism. Because she didn't believe me. I was telling her Florida's whack. And she was like, I don't know. And then AARP came. And she was like, wait. Okay, I'll take it from AARP. (laughs) I'll take it from them. She's like, do people hate the Jews? Um, (laughs) But it was like lovely. I mean, the rest of it was so boring. It was really hard to stay alive. Like, I, you know, I don't know how... Because my other niece, she graduated from a big public school. My sister and niece went to her graduation. A thousand graduating kids. Yeah, I was going to say, at least you only had to hear 40 names. I mean, I went to what I consider a pretty small and it was 200 of us per class. Yeah. Oh, the kid, the two kids from the class that were reading the people's names, they deserve a movie. Like, they should have a Ghost World style movie. They were so <laughs> funny to me. I mean, and, and then I had to really pee. You know, I pee a lot. And so there was a cameraman and he walked away for a second. So I was like, oh, this is my shot to like walk quickly. And I accidentally blocked the grandmother taping her granddaughter's speech. <laughs> well, she was like, she's no. got a little video of internet sensation Lisa Traeger now to show everybody. I was like, I gotta pee. And then my sister said she slapped my ass on the way back into the aisle, but I didn't feel it. So I don't know. Your, but then, sister, your sister slapped your ass or the old lady did? The old lady did. Ooh. <laughs> but I didn't feel it. But then we went to um, a brewery in Skokie called Sketchbook um, and we sat outside and ordered Vietnamese food, like takeaway. And had a nice little special day. It was cute. She, I'm proud of her. Nice. And guess what? Shout out to her father. So she got some money from her university, but Elon wanted more and wrote like a really nice email and they gave her more money. My college? Yes. Damn. He's like, (laughs) listen, she wants to go there, but we have other kids going to college, this and that. And they're like, here's... Thousands more. And I was, but this is him. This is totally him. Because my dad goes, can't everyone do that? And it's like, yeah, but not everyone is him. Yeah, if you ask, yeah, you got to ask. Because when we were, what you want. Because when we were young, the way we got Oprah tickets was he wrote a letter saying, we loved Susan Sarandon and Richard Gere. And that's how we got the tickets. I guess he's always writing these letters. I had no idea. He's a letter, he's a campaign letter, (laughs) letter man. I love that. Yeah, I don't know. It was cute. And then today she was supposed to join my parents and I for lunch, but she stayed out till three in the morning. Oh, excuse me, party girl. Maybe she is ready for Trinity after all. (laughs) But she's a sober Sally. 
I know. That's what. That's the only reason I'm saying because Trinity was such a drunk fest for me that I'm like, maybe Talia's not going to like the drinking part of it, but she's out till three. She can hang. Maybe she'll figure it out. Yeah, um, does she ever do great. a gummy or anything? No. She's no, very no, no, like into it. It's just sweet. It was wholesome. I keep using that word wholesome. Um, and I, in New York, I went to Coney Island. Wholesome. Yeah. Memorial Day weekend. Families enjoying themselves. It was like... It's what I want to be in America for. Everyone yeah. of different, like everyone looks different, all different families having a good time at the beach and the like on Coney Island. And I've just had like a really wholesome week, I guess. Oh, nice. I'm so happy to hear it. <laughs> You'll be happy. Oh, I saw a woman with a bearded dragon and a leash. And you know, I love that. <laughs> well, on my way to the yes. bathroom. So I get back to the boardwalk bar where we're, me and our friends were at, um, uh, you know, on Coney Island, and I go up to them and I go, oh my God, I saw a bearded dragon. And next to me was a little child getting water. And he turned to me, he goes, that's my bearded dragon. <laughs> oh, so cute. And so he like made his mom come over and then we all got to pet the bearded dragon. It was like so cute. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, just wholesome, waiting in line for rides. I, I mean, I was blacked out drunk by that point, but... uh it was fun. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you who I need your brother-in-law to write a campaign letter to. Is it Montessori? Let me guess. No, Is it it's fucking Six Flags Great Adventure. Six Flags Magic Mountain. Oh, uh, no. If you've been following my I saga have. of how my phone fell out of my pocket on a roller coaster, my fault. I forgot to zip the pocket, but still, I didn't think it would be vortexed out by the X2 roller coaster. I called multiple times. It was never found. They I, Finally, I tweeted. They got back to me with this VIP piece. So a person has been writing me back the same person and saying, oh, okay, what's your IMEI number? I'm like, okay, maybe they're getting somewhere. After I send all this stuff, he goes, unfortunately, we've been unable to locate it, blah, blah, blah. Four days later, this past weekend, Saturday, I wake up, my phone has, because I get a, a notification from find my iPhone. My phone has been turned on. It is in Hong Kong. And I immediately Google, my phone is in Hong Kong. The first thing I get is this guy in Reddit being like, my phone was stolen last month in London and now I'm seeing it's at X address in Hong Kong. My phone was at the same address. So this is clearly like some kind of warehouse of reselling iPhones that's in Hong Kong. It has since moved to another address. I can still see where it is. I've erased it, but they're going to just like jailbreak it and like sell it to the Philippines according to everybody on Reddit. Who knows? But I'm just so annoyed so because did an Six employee Flags, do this? Did Six Flags? Is this like a con, like an F like a is concerted? I don't think the it's word? like a concerted. conspiracy. It definitely happens because a lot of people were writing about it online and saying that this has happened. But, but is it always in Six Flags? You, well, a lot of people were saying Magic Mountain specifically, and a bunch of people were saying other Six Flags and stuff too. It was kind of hard to find because you have to look up like lost phone Six Flags scam or whatever, because otherwise you just get like a bunch of people saying I lost my phone at Six Flags. But I think it's employees. I was like, I think you guys need to pay your teens more. Like, I think that the teens, like, I know my phone was on for 36 hours, so it did not break in the fall. So whatever they found it, they were like, oh, this is a 12 and it's on. Let's wait until the battery dies and I'll ship it to China and get some money. I'm fucking pissed. I want them to pay for it. They won't, but I've been, I wrote it on my stories and a bunch of people are like, go to small claims court against Six Flags. And I'm like, I don't know if I can afford all that. I just wonder if it's like, you think it's the teens, not a huge conspiracy. I don't think it's a huge conspiracy because a bunch of people in the Reddit were like, I have gotten my phone back from Six Flags before. 
maybe shittier phones. I don't know. I'm not going to say I had the nicest phone on the planet, but it was a 12. I had just gotten it a few months earlier. So that sucks. But also, well, I had finally a finally you'll little... get a new one. Jesus, this one you've been using is I know. really it's a piece of shit. It's my friend's old phone, and it's like it holds a charge for about five minutes. But I also had a wholesome uh, birthday party for Oscar. He got his little Moana cake. He got his little Moana balloons. He was over the moon. He was so happy. He got his bounce house. At one point at the end of the party, he was just going around eating pizza and cake wherever he found it. Like whoever's piece was just on the ground. He was just hoovering up everything. And I think he was having a blast. But yeah, it was a fun time. And did I do anything else? Not really. Since I've seen you. Any other highlights of the party? No, it was like just a bunch of funny kids running around. And like, it was a very low key. I liked it because it was like half the size of Rosie's. Like it wasn't as many people at all. And um, it was just like nice. I ordered too much pizza. But, you know, Jared's making his way through a bag of cold pizza right now. And uh, that's all. But yeah, no that's real highlights. All, folks. Oh, that's all I, she wrote. I did um, like... So the Summer House reunion aired and one of the people on it said, well, I'd rather be nuts than boring to one of the other people. Lindsay said this to Paige. So I storied it. And guess who responded? Lindsay. Paige. Lindsay? No, Lindsay. Why would Paige? I didn't tag her. I tagged Lindsay. She just wrote LOL. So that was a huge moment for me. Love that. I'm Team Lindsay. Well, it's so funny because one of the main accounts, one of, I should shout her out, honestly, CC, right? I mean, she's given us so much. All right, I'm going to look her up. I like that I don't even have to scroll. It's the first thing that pops up on my Instagram. (laughs) So C-I-C-I. So cc.loves.u is my favorite Bravo account that I've been following. What flag is this? Is she in France or Russia? Like, what flag is this? I don't know what flag it is. I I know she's from another country because I've heard her talk and she has an accent. Yeah, so CC is amazing, but she's just mostly been posting Vanderpump and it unites people. And now, you know, the summer house in Jersey reunions and she's like, oh no. <laughs> she's like, Vanderpump, we're all united. But I've just like, I can't handle the the discourse of the Jersey summer house because everyone, it's just so volatile and so clearly two teams, you know? Yes. Because anyone that's yeah. Team Sandoval is, like, damaged. You know, unfortunately, they had a horrible right. life. It's very clear. We're all... She talked about that because Lisa has, of course, gotten me to follow this woman, Cece. So I do follow her now as well. And <laughs> she's like, it's interesting because the Sandoval, it's like, we're all basically on the same team. There's a couple unhinged wackos. But then with Summer House, which I don't even watch, but I know what's going on through pure osmosis and through Bravo meme accounts, is fully, like, it's divided, I feel like. Some people hate Lindsay and Carl. Some people love them. Some people like Paige. Well, the Bravo universe has no, like, nuance ever, but it's just, like, just because one person is worse, this doesn't mean the other person is innocent of everything. Because I got into it in the and the girl's like, did you not watch season one? Like, no one's saying she's not nuts, <laughs> but she's right. This season, she is correct. Whether you yeah. like her or not, what is happening is wrong. So I just think sometimes with Bravo, they're not, like, Bravo fans are just the stands. It's like the beehive of it all. Yeah, people are coming for Paige because she said that whole thing about how they got their wedding thing in People Magazine and that it must have been premeditated. And then the People Magazine article writer was like, I actually just wrote really fast when I saw that they got engaged. Like, It's just 
Like, I love that. Like, for People Magazine to be like, no, you're wrong. Because Paige kept also saying, like, I know how People Magazine works. And I love that the writer got to be like, if you'd like us to explain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I guess Paige doesn't really know how People Magazine works. Yeah. My old friend Paige. My old almost cousin Paige. Um, Oh, my God. I forgot. (laughs) I forgot someone dated Paige. My cousin. I've met her a couple of times. But way pre her being on a reality show, for sure. Um, It's just... uh, you know, we're all, we all watch reality television for entertainment and Paige and a few of the other girls on the season are very boring. They don't do anything. They don't fight. And then they come alive at the reunion. It's like, where was this energy? Where was yeah. it? I don't watch, but like what I see a lot is like Paige in bed with like a bunch of other girls, like, and they're always just like lying in bed chatting. And the fact of the matter is like, let's say Lindsay's a bad person or a drunk or whatever. Kyle, also Trinity University grad, <laughs> Trinity College, um, he's the worst of them all and no one care. It's like, I don't know, whatever. I'm not getting into this. This is not Bravo. Let's get it. We're, yeah. We're starting the pod. We're starting Wait, the pod. wait, really quickly before we keep, get going on the pod. Guys, it's, uh, this episode's coming out 6-13. That means that in two days, you can see us in Tempe, Arizona, baby. You still have time to get tickets. We love going there. We had a great time last time. If you came last time, Don't be scared to come again. We're doing a different episode. We're going to have different games. It's going to be a different show. And I think we have different merch than when we came last time as well. Also, on the 25th, we will be in Denver, baby, at the Comedy Works, which is another amazing club. We love you, Denver gals uh, and guys. And uh, the old lady who came to the last show and said, who are Benson and Stabler on her way out? Please, if you're listening, come back. Um, I hope you figured it out and that you come back to the show. Um, And then... Finally, on the 29th, we'll be in LA. I'm running into you guys on the street in LA and I'm going, see you at the live show. I better see you guys, your little butts. I know it's cool to stay in in LA and do self-care. This is self-care. Come to the fucking bourbon room and come see our shows. All of our ticket links are at that'smessuplive.com. And um, and huge yeah, news that. for me, I'll be doing stand-up in Arizona June 17th and 18th with Anisha from Family Karma oh, opening. yes. Huge. So she'll be opening those shows. So that'll be thrilling. Hopefully we get on and I get some good gossip for all of you. And then June 26th, they'll be doing stand-up in Denver. So yeah. So That's come all, and folks. make it a bang bang. Come see the pod. Come see Lisa. And uh yeah, let's get going. We've got some friends. Yeah, bring friends, bring drag alongs. You guys know people love it when they come to our show. Uh, even if they've never listened to the pod. We they we convert people one by one at the live shows. Oh, and guess what I used while I packed this trip? My new kimchi uh, makeup bag that I got at DragCon. And it is so good. I'm excited. Well, I can't wait to see it when we're traveling together. It fits so much. It's pink. It's cute. It's perfect. I love everything. Okay, we're starting All right, guys, we're starting. Don't go anywhere. All right, we are tackling Alien today, season seven, episode 11. This is an episode from 2005. We open on what looks like a gold Ford Taurus hauling ass on the streets of New York City, cutting people off, almost hitting people, turning into an emergency room drop-off, pushing a body out of the passenger seat and then taking off. And the victim who's lying on the ground is an unconscious young boy with a lot of blood on his white button-down Doctors come running. So now in the hospital later, Munch is briefing Benson and Stabler. 
The kid's name is Sean Hamill, and he's a fifth grader at St. Victor's. So damn, he'd be like 11 years old, which is, that's wild. Um, He's got a single stab wound to the back. The ER noticed bruising on his chest and buttocks, so they called SVU. The doctor comes up to tell them that Sean is out of surgery, and it is Surfer Dude Doctor, who we've talked about before. He's Dr. Kyle Beresford, played by Stephen Gregory, who unfortunately has left the business as of uh, his last episode of SVU, which was in 2011. Um, I didn't realize this guy was in 18 episodes. Like, he's been in five or six episodes that we've covered, but he is the surfer guy that we talk about that it doesn't make sense he works in a New York City hospital. And they're in the hospital room now with Sean and his parents. Sean has a big bandage on on his head. It's a not an all the way around kind though. It's just a large rectangular bandage. So he doesn't get to be in the special club with Amber Stevens West and uh, Abigail Breslin. So the hospital has obviously not paid their electrical bill because the room is pitch. It's dark. Like there's not a light to be seen. I think of hospital rooms as bright fluorescent lights. This child is lying in the shadows. He remembers putting books in his locker and then playing stickball like it's 1950. And then the mom says, a bully's been picking on him. Last week he came home covered in bruises. And Sean says, no, I was climbing a tree and I fell. And the mom goes, no way. It's a bully and he's scared to say who. And the kid is like, can I talk later? Let's just let me out of here. I just want to go home. And that's when he realizes he can't move his legs. He starts crying, asking his parents, why can't I move my legs? The parents look devastated and we're at the credits off of a paralyzed fifth grader. Top of act one, the detectives are at St. Victor's and a priest is telling them that the principal has a zero tolerance policy for fighting and it's one fight and you're expelled. Seems very harsh. And the principal heard the tree climbing story. So she's like, I don't even know anything about Sean getting bullied. He's a dumbass for climbing a tree. And then Stabler drops the bomb that Sean was stabbed and is now paralyzed. And they need to talk to anyone who had contact with Sean that day, starting with you, Father Justin. And he goes, I didn't see Sean. And Liv is like, well, that's weird because he was dumped at the ER out of your car. Done, done. And he's like, that's impossible. My car was in the parking lot all day. And father and the principal's like, no, Father Justin was in the library correcting papers all afternoon. But he admits, I leave my keys on the visor so parishioners can borrow it. Very generous, very priestly. We cut to the cutest SVU interview ever. Finn is like bent down talking to this cute little girl who's like, one time a big boy pushed Sean down. And it's like, it's just really cute. She's like, I don't remember his name, but he's bad. I saw him smoking. So cute. So now Stabler's talking to a teen who's like, if I spill tea, tea is going to get spilt on me. Like, I'm not doing this. And then now Benson is talking to this dorky kid and he goes, just because I'm a recess monitor doesn't mean I'm a narc. And it's like, That actually does. It actually is exactly what you are as a recess monitor. You are an arc. And Benson explains, Sean is too scared to reveal who his bully is. And I can see that you're scared too. And he's like, I'm not a wuss. And then he's like, okay, never mind. I'll tell you everything. There's a fat kid who pushes everyone around and he beat the crap out of Sean last week. His name is Charlie Monahan. Thanks, Narc. So now we're talking to Charlie and his dad. And his dad is very familiar. His name is Adam Lefebvre. He's been in four episodes of SVU. This is his fourth one. This guy has like 100 credits on IMDb. Like he's just in like one episode of every show you've ever seen, kind of. And Charlie says, Sean was making fun of me. Sean basically said, your girlfriend won't have sex with you because she's afraid you'll squash her. And he says, he hasn't seen Sean since last week. And he goes, Emma can tell you, I walked her home after 
school yesterday and we stopped for ice cream. Emma is his half-sister. It's his, they have the same mom, but the dad is like, oh, it's my ex-wife's daughter. So she's been staying with her grandparents since her mom got sick. So now we're at the grandparents' house and they are two very extremely white uppity, stuffy-looking grandparents. And we find out that Emma's been staying there a couple days since her mom, Kate, had to go back to the hospital because she has lupus. Emma's very cute. She's played by a girl named Raquel Castro, who also played Ben Affleck's daughter in Jersey Girl, which I've never seen. Have you seen that? I think I saw Geely, but not Jersey Girl. Yeah. But I feel like I saw both. I confuse those. And I, Jersey Girl, I can, like, see the cover of it, and I can see, like, a scene from it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. This girl also was a contestant on The Voice. She was, I believe, chosen by Christina Aguilera or something, but she didn't make it very far. Um, But she's very cute and she has a big Instagram following. I hope her music goes well. Uh, She's also wearing a very bad wig for most of this episode, which cannot be ignored. She backs up Charlie's story story kind of like verbatim to Olivia, the ice cream, the walk home, etc. And Stabler is immediately suspicious. Like, why did you only tell us about after school? And the grandma swoops in and is like, like the high school and the elementary school are separate. So that's the only time she would have seen her brother, Charlie. Then Liv cuts to the chase and is like, did your brother ask you to lie? And she goes, no, lying is a sin. It's a vanilla sin, not the mortal kind, but all sins are bad and you have to never do them no matter what. Back at the 16th precinct, they're fi- they're filling in Cragen. They think little cutie Emma is lying her little wig off and they think that Charlie stabbed this kid, dumped him and had his sister alibi him. Munch pops in with the crime scene report. The lab got prints off of Father Justin's car. They were all over the car everywhere except the driver's side. So whoever this kid is, they're pretty smart to be wiping prints off of a vehicle, is what Stabler says. And then Munch says... They found something wedged under the passenger side. It's a little piece of string or rope. CSU says it's painter's canvas, which is what kids use at St. Victor's for art. So in the art room, they've got giant, big-ass rolls of this canvas. So Munch and Finn think the perp wrapped Sean up in the canvas to keep his blood out of the car, then took him to the parking lot, which is only 20 yards from the art room. They think he dumped the canvas after returning the car, so they're going to have to check the trash. Then Munch goes, hmm, interesting. Do kids have access to these? And he's just like holding up scissors. It's like, yes, kids use scissors in art class. (laughs) But like, Wilde's mind just went immediately to scissors. And he says, crime scene needs to go through this room too. And then out of nowhere, CSU technician Millie Viscarondo, aka friend of the pod, Paula Garces, She appears out of nowhere, like truly appears out of thin air and goes, I'll bring in a team. But then she goes, but first, I got something. I checked out the security footage at Marty's Deli across from the school. Finn goes, what were you doing at Marty's? She goes, they got pixie sticks. I don't know why this exchange is happening. She could just be at a deli. There's a lot of reasons to go to a deli. She found video of Charlie without Emma buying a candy bar at the deli at 4.02. But he said he walked Emma home at three o'clock. So what's going on? Now, Benson and Stabler have Charlie and his dad in interrogation, threatening him with jail. And if he gets tried as an adult, he'll get 20 years. Security footage has you at the deli across from the school 20 minutes before Sean was dumped. And Charlie's sticking to his story. Benson's like, okay, well, a jury's never going to believe you. And then knock, knock, Finn's got something. He did find another pair of scissors in the school dumpster with traces of blood in the blades. There are two prints on the scissors, but none of them are Charlie's. They can tell because they're small. They're the size of a seven or eight-year-old. And an eight-year-old doesn't know how to wipe prints or drive a car. So it looks like maybe Emma stabbed, Charlie cleaned up, and he's lying to protect her, not the other way around. Done, done. 
top of act two. We're back at the school and the principal is filling in Benson and Stabler that Emma's not at school that day because she's at the hospital with her mom and she's like, just as well. And they're like, why is it just as well that she's missing school? And they're like, her situation's complicated. When her mother first enrolled her at St. Victor's, she told them she was a single parent and she hid the fact that Emma actually has another mom and that Kate is gay. The mom is gay. And Liv is like, what's the big deal? Gay couples raise kids all the time. And the principal's like, sure, but they don't lie about being gay and enroll their kids in a conservative Catholic school. And they didn't find out until Kate got sick. And then their mom's partner started coming to school functions and the other parents freaked out and they didn't want their kids in the same class with the kid of a lesbian. Oh my God, like what fucking year is it? That's so wild. So it is Catholic school though. So I don't know why any of this is shocking to me. Well, let's see It's like happening in public schools now. Yeah. A teacher right now is in trouble because she showed a Disney movie with a gay character in it and the teachers are flipping out. So I think we've gone actually more backwards from this episode. Yeah. So fucking crazy. Well, so they basically, at this school, they wanted to expel Emma after they found out, but the parent, because the parents were pulling the kids out of the school, donors were withdrawing support, and Liv was like, how about ignoring them? And principal is like, yeah, but how do you teach catechism with Emma in the classroom? Like, homosexuality is a sin, kids, but that's okay, Emma. Your moms are good people otherwise. So that's a quote from the principal. The only reason they didn't expel Emma was because her parents sued the school. So she came back to St. Victor's with a target on her back. And the principal's like, yeah, so the less she's here, the better. At the hospital, Benson and Stabler see Emma sitting at her mom's bedside. They're stopped by Zoe, Emma's other mom, played by Amy Peets, who I recognize from Caroline in the City. And uh, she's like, Emma had nothing to do with what happened to Sean Hamill. I don't know if I've ever met an adult Zoe. Isn't that funny? My niece is named Zoe. All kids. Yeah, well, she's a kid. we had Zoe Lister Jones on our podcast. Oh, that's an adult Zoe. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> One adult Zoe. I just heard her on another podcast today and she was so funny. She's into Housewives and Vanderpump and everything. And she was being really, really funny about it. No, it. I say this all the time. I mean, Bravo connects people from yeah. coast to coast. It really is a binding all walks, thing. All walks yeah. of life, but mostly women and gay men. So she goes, Emma had nothing to do with what happened to Sean Hamill. And Benson is like, the kids are covering for each other, babe. We need to talk to Emma. And they're like, she's like, well, her mom is dying. Can this wait? And they're like, it'll be quick. Now Emma's talking to the detectives saying she didn't do anything. They're like, even if it's an accident, we got to know the truth. Did Sean say something mean to you? She goes, he said I was a freak and I was going to go to hell because I have two moms. And Zoe is like, what did we talk about? Six and sticks and stones. And it's like, I think sticks and stones is kind of outdated now, right? We've figured out that like language hurts people very deeply and that we have to deal with that. Yeah, it's like a boomer saying, which is like, ignore how you feel and keep it moving. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, yeah. actually matter, but <laughs> it's like down. ignoring... Yeah, it's ignoring feelings. It's not that words can't hurt me. They do hurt. We're pretending they don't to keep it moving. Yeah. They're not the same as like a bruise from bumping into a wall that when someone calls you a full freak and that you're going to go to hell, that shouldn't hurt, you know? We know that Charlie drove Sean to the hospital. If you don't tell us what happened, he's going to get in a ton of trouble. And so then Stabler asks like the mom, Zoe, like if kids are so mean, why did you send her there? And Zoe goes, our faith is important to us. We want her to have a Catholic education. I bump on that a little bit. I don't understand why you would want to have someone educated in a church that tells them that you're sinning, but... Yeah, and if you want it for whatever cultural reasons, there's Sunday school. Yeah. There's church. There's tutors. Like, to put her in an environment where it's hell makes no fucking sense. 
Yeah. And it also, I guess it's because it, for a while it was it was all fine because she was a secret and it's only become hell in the last six months, but still like not great. And yeah, I know that Catholic schools are less expensive than private schools, but so that could be a reason. But Stabler goes, it's not much of an education when the kids are bothering her. And Zoe goes, she can handle it. She goes to therapy. She can talk to me if she has problems. And then they ask Zoe, well, where were you? Then like, the night that the afternoon that this kid got stabbed and she was like, I was at the hospital with Kate. You think I did it? So now at the precinct, Cragen's like, why can't you get the truth out of this traumatized eight-year-old? He's very upset. And they're like, um, Daddy Cragen, her mom is dying in the next room. It's not easy to break an eight-year-old who's going through all this stuff. And they're like, and she's been through a ton. In the last six months since her mom's took her school to court, the family's been harassed. They've changed their number twice. They've had broken windows, graffiti on their doors. Zoe has filed six reports. No one has been charged. And then Munch goes, since when did New York become a red state? And Olivia's like, it's not just here. And she references a case in California. There was, in fact, a case just like this in January of 2005. So the same year that this episode came out where a young gay couple enrolled their kindergarten twins in Catholic school in Costa Mesa, which is in the OC, Orange County, California. And the parents all at the school all went nuts. But the school rejected their demands and said, because if, if you reject children based on parents, will we also have to ban students? Students with divorced parents or parents who used birth control or parents who mixed fabrics or whatever other crazy shit there is in the Bible. I mean, there's all kinds of archaic stuff in the Bible. And then also a lesbian couple in Oregon in the year before, in July of 2004, sued a Catholic school claiming that their daughter was rejected from the school because of, quote, their lifestyle, which... I mean, no one even says that anymore. The school argued the child wasn't, quote, behaviorally suitable for the school, which is bullshit. I can't actually find out what happened with this lawsuit. So if anyone knows, there was no current updated information. Anyway, back to this case. I a, just a don't get sending your kid to a place where they are not wanted. Yeah. Yeah. The school doesn't want your kid. What are you, who cares? Right. Why are you forcing it? Right. I wouldn't send my kid who can't sing or act or has no interest in the arts into a performing arts high school. You know what I mean? It's like, it just seems like, that's even like a like a lazier example because it's not like the school is teaching them that because you can't sing or dance, you're less of a person or you deserve to go to hell. But Stabler argues that Emma would have been better off pretending she just had one mom and going on with the lie. And Benson's like, so Zoe has to stay in the closet to make homophobes happy? And then he goes, you don't send your kid to military school if you're a pacifist, not without expecting some friction. I'm team Stabler. I, I guess I get his point here. Yeah, like he's he's Catholic. He's like, yeah, I get it. But he also, you know, later he's got some good Catholic facts. So Olivia goes, so you agree with the school? And Stabler's like, it's complicated. Being Catholic means believing certain things. And Zoe knows that. And then somebody goes, but she wanted to make a point and win one for the cause. And Munch goes, somebody's got to fight the fight. And Finn goes, but it shouldn't be an eight-year-old. And I agree with that. He points out Emma is so messed up, she goes to therapy twice a week. And Cragen points out that Zoe's LUDs show multiple calls to one number, Father Justin. So is it possible she borrowed his car? Let's go find out. So now they're talking to Father Justin and he's like, Zoe's never called me ever once. And he goes, I gave the number to Emma when she first started having problems. He says she mentioned Sean Hamill all the time. He picked on her every chance he got. The, the priest talked to Sean, pleaded with him, 
begged him to stop teasing her. Nothing worked. He even called his parents and got censured for it. I don't understand why. He says he likes being a priest, but he's very close to having his faculties removed by the church, which I guess is getting like priest fired. And he said he didn't want the school to get bad press. So he he says like he kind of wishes there was more he could have done, but he was hoping that Charlie's beating would get Sean to back off of Emma. And it did for one week, but he was just planning the next horrible thing he was going to do to Emma. Father Justin pulls out an envelope and inside he says, after you guys talked to me, I went to the art room and this is what I found. And he pulls out Emma's freaking ponytail. It's like a long, like seven inches of hair with a butterfly clip still attached to it, which Sean probably cut off to torture this little girl. Back at the extremely dim hospital room, detectives are talking to Sean again. And they're like, do you remember seeing Emma that afternoon? And he goes, yeah, I think she was there, but I didn't really talk to her. Stabler goes, did you ever pick on her? And he goes, I only bother her because she's so weird. Her mom's a lesbian. It's wrong. Homosexuality is a sin. He like can't even say it, right? And then Stabler's like, I don't remember seeing that in the Bible. That's what's crazy about these people. It's like they they're like, oh, grooming. Oh, we gotta protect our kids from sexuality and gay shit. And yet, why does a little kid even know to hate a homosexual? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like you can't teach kids the existence of gay people, but you can teach them to hate gay people. That makes no yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Like th- gay people exist and you could there's two options, be chill or not chill. And you're <laughs> people be choosing not chill all the time. All the time. I this just occurs to me. It's like you're letting you think hating gay people is more appropriate for a child than just knowing gay people exist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this kid thinks. And that's why he thinks this girl is weird because she's just related to two lesbians. And that must make her a lesbian. It's like, my mom's a doctor. I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you're not everything that your parents are anyway. But she's getting, you know, relentlessly tortured by this kid. Stabler, but I love when Stabler is like, uh, actually, I know the Bible very well. And he's like, I don't remember seeing that in the Bible. And he goes, Corinthians says gay people are going to hell and Old Testament is worse. It says gay people should be put to death. And then Stabler goes, okay, so that makes it okay for you to cut off all Emma's hair. And he pulls out the ponytail and he starts like whining. It didn't hurt her. It was just a joke. And Stabler's like, you went after a little girl with a pair of scissors. And he's like, all I did was cut her hair. She stabbed me in the back and now I can't walk. It's not fair. It's like, I guess if you had done nothing, you'd still be running around playing stickball, you little shit. But now Benson and Stabler go talk to Sean's parents outside. And they're it like- It does suck. It's such a permanent like punishment or like consequence more so. But that's the risk you take, bitch. Like yeah. if she had stabbed him somewhere else in the back, he might still be fine. You know what I mean? Like, Right. I don't think she meant to paralyze him. She just went for the back, you know? Yeah, and I don't feel bad for this kid. And then we see the parents suck. It's not like this kid would have been like a great person walking. Like, whatever. (laughs) Well, he's probably going to become a fucking right-wing podcaster. But Benson and Stabler go to talk to Sean's parents outside the hospital room. And they're like, did he remember anything? And Stabler's like, yeah, that he bullied a girl in school. And the mom goes, Emma should have never been accepted at St. Victor's. And the dad says, we pay a lot of money to give Sean a private education. We should have some say in what he's exposed to. Exposed to? Like, 
How is it exposing you to anything to just be in a classroom, which you're, you shouldn't be, by the way. She's clearly in like second grade and you're in fifth. So for you to pass the daughter of two lesbians in the hallway, how is that affecting your life in any way? So Stabler goes, so you told your son it was cool to pick on an eight-year-old girl. And they're like, we told him he should feel sorry for Emma's moms and pray for them. Well, he didn't get that message. And the dad goes, so did Emma stab Sean? And Stabler confirms. And then he goes, then I don't care if he called her an F-word slur, D-word slur, whore bitch from hell, arrest her. I didn't want to say those words, but you guys know what I'm saying. And it's wild that this is said on television, but it is 2005. So these guys are like, get that eight-year-old girl behind fucking bars. They want nothing but revenge from this child of lesbians. So now Benson is at Emma's house talking to her. Like, we know what happened. Sean told us. Zoe is still saying that Emma's innocent and that the reason Emma's hair was short was because of gum. And they're like, Emma, spill it. And she admits that she's been lying to mommy Zoe and she didn't mean to hurt Sean. But she says, Sean. She has like a really kind of cute little New York accent. She goes, I didn't mean to hurt Sean. He just kept yelling slurs at her and calling her the D word slang for lesbians or like, I mean, lesbians use the word, but I don't think they want anyone else to call them that. And she says, I told him I'm not a lesbian, but he said, prove it. And he tried to kiss her. So she pushed him away. He grabbed her, cut her hair and said, you're a D word slur. And now you look like one. And she goes, I was so mad. I was so ugly. So I grabbed the scissors and I hurt him in the back with them. He fell down and hit his head. Then she explains how Charlie brought Sean to the hospital and father Justin's car. She says, sorry, she didn't mean to tell all those lies. And Benson says, we still have to arrest her. And Zoe's like, it's late. Can this wait till she sees Kate in the hospital in the morning? So Benson, in a moment of compassion, says, get an attorney and bring her in by 9 a.m. So now they're at the precinct that evening and they're like, Olivia's like, this kid must have really scared Emma. She's a good kid. She's never had a day of trouble up until now. And our girl, Casey Novak, is there going, yeah, the guy that's going to try her in family court is named Garrett Gillespie. And he is uh, supposed to be a hard ass. So suddenly, Zoe shows up with defense attorney Roger Kressler, aka the late, great Ned Eisenberg, with a motion to suppress the confession, which is, you know, he's a he's a shark. So he's the guy to get if you really need to get someone off. The confession they want suppressed on the grounds that they interrogated Emma without her parent present. Because even though they've been together for 10 years, the law does not recognize Zoe as Kate's wife or as Emma's mom because she never adopted her. Again, much like in Chasing Theo, why not? You've been together for 10 years. You had this girl together because she's eight or seven. So why have you not, why were you not adopting her from the get? I don't understand. She's still her Paperwork legal- is hard. Paperwork is hard, but it just seems like- Chores, errands, it's, you know, appointments. It's tough. <laughs> Getting passports. I know it's a lot. She's still- her legal guardian, though, while her mom's in the hospital, Stabler argues, and Kressler's too good. He's like, she's a de facto guardian, but the state doesn't give her the right to make decisions for Emma. She's basically a babysitter. Benson looks like she got punched in the gut. She's like, bitch, you raised this child. You're going to let them call you a babysitter? Zoe's like, I should have legal rights over Emma, but I don't. So why should I claim them now when it can only hurt her? So the confession is out. You want to talk to Emma again? You talk to me, says Kressler. So now top of act three, Novak meets Garrett Gillespie. He's kind of cute. And he says, Sean's parents called and want to know why this eight-year-old hasn't been locked up yet. And she tells him (laughs) about how, (laughs) like, these parents are just horny for a little girl behind bars in a wig. And she tells him, 
about how Kressler got the confession tossed. And he goes, I don't need a confession to convict her. And Casey's like, you really want to send an eight-year-old to jail for 10 years? And she, he's like, she jammed the scissors so far into Sean's back, she severed his spinal cord. Sean tormented her and drove her to the edge, Casey argues. She belongs in counseling, not juvie. Gillespie goes, And That's it's your- not like the kid was like, I'm going to fucking paralyze him, you know? It yes. was just like, fuck Leave you. me alone. You just cut my fucking hair off. Well, because I, Harriet the Spy had a ponytail cutting moment and she got revenge in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Gillespie's like, that's your opinion, but it's my case. Tell SVU to arrest Emma. So now Benson and Stabler show up at the hospital to get Emma. Her grandmother's there saying Emma's off getting juice. In the hospital room, Zoe and Charlie are at Kate's bedside and she looks like she's at death's door. Like this woman does not look good. They explain that they're there to arrest Emma. They all beg them not to. Stabler's like, we have to. Zoe, you promised to bring her in. And then Kate's mother starts in on Zoe like, what did you do? She's my granddaughter. What's happening? And Kate's like, can you back off, mom? I'm like dying and you're being very shrill right now. Emma shows up and is like, Olivia says I have to go with her. And Liv goes, someone should go with us. So Grandma Dearest volunteers to go and then Zoe goes, no, I'll go. And Kate goes, both of you should go. So later- And this actress that plays the grandma, she has a face for evil. You know what I mean? Yes, she has wicked stepmother energy for sure. And yeah, she is typecast. Yes. So now later, Casey approaches Liv and is like, how did it go? But do you know her her big thing where she had 128 episodes on a show? This woman? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't look her up. Tell me. Dawson's Creek. Oh, who did she play? It says Grams. Evelyn Grams Ryan. So someone's grandma, probably. Isn't that Michelle Williams' grandmother? Grams? I don't know. It's interesting because somebody, when no, I was- Grams sh- like grandma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I didn't watch the show, but I always remember Michelle Williams having like a Grams, you know? Like she didn't have parents, I don't think. Yeah, Jen um, Lindley. Is Michelle Williams Jen Lindley and? Dawson's Creek. I think she is Jen. I think all the people that listen to Dawson's Creek are probably right now screaming at their- (laughs) I used to watch it. This was so long ago. Like I haven't, because I had a bucket hat, a Dawson's Creek bucket hat. I had a Dawson's Creek calendar. Wow. I was into it. I watched it probably only for a few seasons. I mean, I was in sixth grade. It's hard to make a full-on commitment for six seasons. I'm like a, you know- a junior yeah. high to high school, things change. But I was very into Dawson's Creek when it came out. But I haven't done a rewatch. Well, this woman's name is Mary Beth Peel, and she's an American actress and an opera singer. She started as an opera singer, a soprano. And, you know, she's got a fuck ton of opera stuff in here. But then, yeah, Dawson's Creek. But I was striking the other Wait, day. Wait, she's in Jersey Girl, too. Oh, but 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you fucking Jersey girl? That would be wild. I was striking and Michael McKean was at my striking thing. He's from uh, Better Call Saul. And he, his wife is Annette O'Toole. And everybody was saying that she also was on that show as a grandma. So I'm, I, I wonder if that's real. Anyway, back to reality. Oop, there goes gravity. Okay, so later Casey approaches Olivia in the precinct and is like, how'd it go? And she goes, great, I love putting eight-year-olds in lockup overnight. <laughs> so Casey goes, she can stay home till the trial after the family court judge lets her out. And 
we hear home with her grandparents, I hope. And we hear some man who looks like a full men's rights activist say from behind them. And he is James Decker. And he's a lawyer who represents the grandparents. And the grandma wants to see Emma, but that's not possible. She's detained until tomorrow. And she goes, you're putting my granddaughter in jail? And Casey's like, ma'am, she did stab a child and paralyze him. And then the lawyer pipes in that none of this would have happened if Zoe hadn't forced her lifestyle on Emma and Kate. Kate, the mom. Lifestyle, Benson gets worked up. Your daughter didn't choose her sexual orientation. She was like, my daughter was happy being a wife and a mother until Zoe came along. It's like, okay, lady, did you ever talk to her about her marriage? Because sounds like she went running. So it's Zoe's fault that your daughter is gay. And the lawyer says, well, it's not Emma's and someone has to look out for her. And Casey says, the court has appointed Emma a lawyer. And he goes, well, we'll see about that. So now we're in family court where this Gillespie dude is asking Emma to be remanded to a juvenile facility because she's a violent child. She truly has no background of violence. And Kressler is like, your honor, this child has zero history of violence and she poses no danger to anyone. She should be released to her parents. The judge agrees, but says she has to wear an ankle monitor and stay at her mother's house. And Gillespie says, well, that's a problem because her mother's in the hospital. She has no father or legal guardian. Zoe stands up and addresses the judge explaining that she is as much her parent as her mother is. And the judge goes, why haven't you adopted her? And and she goes, I don't need a piece of paper to define my relationship with my daughter. And he goes, well, in this court you do. So burn. So then James Decker pipes up with a solution. The grandparents are happy to take Emma until this matter is resolved. Zoe argues that Emma belongs at home. And Kressler argues that there is precedence for a non-family member to take the child. But Decker's like, only in California and not when blood family members are willing and able. And Emma's like, I want to go home with mommy Zoe. And the judge says, sorry, Emma, can't do it. And he scolds Zoe for first saying that she had no parental rights and then asking for them. You can't have it both ways. So he releases Emma to her grandparents. She is so sad, but Zoe tells her it's just for a couple days. Now, Father Justin shows up to court to talk to Benson and ask about Emma's trial. And Benson's like, it is not going great, Father Jay. And worst case is if the judge thinks she's a danger, she'll go to juvie till she's 18. And he's like, I gotta help. Like, you, I'll testify that Sean tormented her, but Liv is like, that's hearsay. You weren't there. You, you only heard her say that he tormented her. We need proof. And like, what about the damn ponytail? Is that not enough proof about torment? But I guess they need you know, notes, emails, like whatever, witnesses to the torment. He asks, have you checked the IM logs at the school? And Benson goes, computers don't save those, which is not true. I've looked at many of my old IM conversations in retrospect. But he says, the ones at St. Victor's do. The principal installed software to monitor kids' combos. Maybe my mom did too, but I remember reading my backlogs. Back in family court, and Sean is up on the stand recalling- Is that something your mom would do? No, my mom's a moron with technology. No. And she's too busy to spy. She could never spy. No, I could see my dad getting a little bit into that, but not my mom. Nope. And your parents probably not, right? Are they spies? I don't think they're spies, but they definitely found my pipe immediately the first (laughs) day I smoked weed. Cleaning probably, right? Yeah. And then I, so then they're like, and, but I didn't want them to get the satisfaction of knowing they caught me on the first time. So I was like, I've been smoking for months. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, I'm good at this. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. How old were you? High school, high school. They like caught me. There was just like a big day where... 
Because then my dad showed up to play practice to make sure I was there. And I was like, what? And he was shocked that I was there, but I was. (laughs) You're like, I'm not a commercial for weed smoking. I actually go to the thing. I go to swim. I go to theater. (laughs) So back in family court, Sean's up on the stand recalling the moment he found out he was paralyzed. And then Benson shows up to court and hands Gillespie a bunch of printouts of how of horrible I am that Sean has sent to Emma. Basically rape threats. Like, and she goes, that's not the worst of them. And he's like, you know, I got to share these with the defense. And the moment I do, Sean's cred goes out the window and so does yours. And he looks busted. And he's like, uh, your honor, I need a 30 minute recess. So back at the 16th precinct, Benson's telling us how it all got wrapped up, telling Cragen that it took Gillespie about 10 minutes to agree on a deal. Counseling, anger management, monthly court evaluations, and Emma is back home with Zoe. So hooray, Emma does not have to have her life ruined over paralyzing this child. In walks Blake, the lawyer, telling them they need to remove Emma from Zoe's custody immediately. And Cragen's like, we can't help you, pal, unless there's been a crime. Then he drops a bomb that Zoe has been sexually abusing Emma ever since Kate got sick. And they're like, "Um, we need to hear this from Emma. We haven't heard any of these allegations before. We've been spending a lot of time with this child. And that's a pretty big coincidence that this is all coming out right after Zoe gets custody. So then he whips out a photo and says Emma showed them to her grandparents, these photos. And why does a grown woman have pictures of herself in bed with a naked eight-year-old? And he says, search the apartment and you'll find dozens more like this. So now they're at the apartment. Millie Viscarondo is there too. She's just coming down from her pixie stick high and she's not finding anything unusual on the computer. She's like, this is just email and shit. The detectives are finding tuition bills, hospital bills, but also like pictures of them having family fun, Coney Island, Statue of Liberty, the Met. Um, And then Benson finds pictures of nude sunbathing and another one of Emma in the tub with Zoe, which I don't find weird. A lot of people take baths with their kids. But then Zoe and Emma come home and Zoe asks what's going on. And Emma runs right to the couch, bawling, crying. And they tell Zoe that they need to ask her some questions about a complaint. But she says, this is a really bad time. And then Benson goes to talk to Emma. And we find out that sadly, Kate has died. Fuck. Very bad timing on the cop's part. So top of act four at the precinct, Stabler has Zoe in interrogation. Emma's gone home with the grandparents. And he shows her these pictures and she goes, what do you think these are, like porn? And he goes, you got an eight-year-old lying naked in a bed. And Zoe goes, Emma has always been shy. So Kate and I wanted her to have a positive body image. So we took some pictures of her to show her how beautiful she is. Stabler's like, self-esteem is one thing, but you got her vamping for the camera like a Playboy model. And it's like what do these pictures, what are these pictures? If you think they're sexy, you're the one with the problem is what Zoe says. She looks like an angel. And she's like, what about you and Emma lying naked in bed? And Zoe's like, Emma's therapist recommended massage to relieve her stress. Kate took these photos on the last day of my massage classes. You think I'm, because I'm gay, I'm molesting my daughter. And Stabler's like, this is not about who you are. This is about what Emma said you did to her. And she's like, Emma would never say that. And Stabler makes a face like, "Mm, but she did though. And Zoe looks stunned. So now we're talking to Emma about how mommy Zoe made her take her clothes off and get in bed. And then she touched me. Where did she touch you? Emma looks to her grandmother, who's like, go ahead, tell them. She hesitates. Huang is there too. He and Benson share a look. Olivia asks the grandmother to step out, like so that there can't be any coaching or anything. Benson asks again, where did she touch you? And she goes, everywhere, down there. She says she didn't want it, but Zoe said it would make her feel good. How did it make you feel? 
And she said, it made me feel bad. Like when you tell a lie or you eat a burger on Good Friday and Huang jumps in like, oh, you felt guilty. Like you were doing something you shouldn't be doing. And she goes, I knew it was a sin. And he goes, why? And she goes, because girls aren't supposed to naked touch other girls. And he said, do you think it's wrong? Your mommy sleep in the same bed. And she says, God says it's against nature. Women are supposed to be with men or they go to hell. And then they go, is that what you learned in school? And she goes, my grandmom told me. She said, mommy Zoe is going to go to hell for what she did. So this is all kinds but of fucked I, up. I mean, we're not supposed to blame the victim, but I blame the parents. You sent her to get a Catholic education. What did you think that entailed? Yeah, Tolerance, but I don't th- joy, I, happiness. What are you yes. talking about? Yes, that. The tenets of Catholicism is you're a sin, everyone's a sin, the baby's a sin, everyone's a sin. Yeah, but also I, I think that the grandparents are exacerbating what she's like hearing and learning at school for sure. So yes, the parents are a bit to blame here, but we can't speak ill of the dead. Kate is dead, <laughs> um, but Zoe is still alive. So cut to the debrief. Huang says he doubts Zoe molested Emma. Stabler's like, but she just said that she did. And he's like, Emma's description of the abuse is intellectual, not emotional. Kids say abuse hurts. Emma called it a sin. And they're like, what about the pics? Stabler wants to know. And Huang's like, I would have also prescribed massage for Emma if she were my patient. So like, he's like, the pics seem fine. And then he goes, well, how do you explain these allegations that she's making? And Huang says, parental alienation syndrome. And... That is partially the title, so do take a drink or eat a jelly bean. According to Social Work Today, which is something I looked up, parental alienation is a set of strategies a set of strategies that a parent uses to foster a child's rejection of the other parent. Parental alienation syndrome develops in children who come to hate, fear, and reject the targeted parent as someone unworthy of having a relationship with them. And I feel like we hear about this all the time. We see we we see this on like in real life. But Stabler's like, I thought that was just when couples split up and the mom brainwashes the kids into thinking the dad's a bastard. And it's like, okay, Stabler, like a man's never done this parental alienation. Give me a break. You've been working in SVU at this point for at least seven or eight years. Uh, Huang says the same thing is happening here, only the grandmother is turning the child against Zoe. It's like, just doesn't have to be between a heterosexual couple. Why would Emma go along with it? And Huang says her grandmother is manipulating her into believing it. Benson is talking to Casey, who says, at the very least, it's custodial interference. At the most, it's reckless endangerment. But Benson says, they'll only get a slap on the wrist. Casey goes, unless we can prove unlawful imprisonment. They kept a little girl away from her lawful home by making her lie about abuse, which they only did because Zoe is gay, which makes it a hate crime. A D felony, they could get seven years. Boom. I love when Novak works her little law magic like that. So Novak goes, arrest them. Benson and Stabler go arrest the oldies for unlawful imprisonment. They're like, you filled the Emma's head with lies to keep her away from her mother. And grandma's like, Zoe's ruining her life. It's our moral duty to protect Emma. And then Stabler goes, how about thou shall not bear false witness, my guys? And uh, I love it when he has Catholic comebacks. It really um, helps me because I feel like he understands the nuances of Catholicism where there are some. In court, the parents are on trial and Zoe is on the stand. Zoe is testifying that Emma's grandparents tricked Emma into saying she'd been molested, but Zoe knows it's not Emma's fault. She, Emma now understands that Zoe did not hurt her in any way. She goes, she's just sad all the time now. It's really sad when she says that. Yeah, because it's also like her mom just died. Her mom just died. She just had this traumatic thing happen where she hurt this kid. She had her fucking ponytail cut off and was tormented for months. It's like, this is all like probably the worst period of her little life. And so 
She says, it's not just because her biological mother just died. She woke up the other day crying and that she dreamed that her mom died and the police took Zoe to jail and that she cried out and no one could hear her. So that sort of like is what's happening. So here come the grandparents lawyer and his punchable face going, how long has Emma been in therapy to Zoe? And Zoe goes, six months since this kids at school started teasing her for having two moms. And I was like, also her mom dying is a great reason for her to be in therapy. Like her mom being sick is a great reason for her to be in therapy. So in three years at St. Victor's, the teasing only started recently because you insisted on making your presence known at school, this little asshole says. Zoe goes, Emma needed a parent for school functions. And he goes, and you needed to make a point that you were gay and the school better not discriminate against you. When they got angry at your lie, you took them to court. She goes, it was important to take a stand. And he goes, more important than Emma's happiness? Why not enroll her in another school? She says, I didn't want her to be ashamed that her moms are lesbians. So you had an eight-year-old fight your battles? She said, no, never. If you love her so much, why did you make her stay at St. Victor's even though she hated it? So Zoe like kind of breaks down and goes, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it differently. Like, and the lawyer says, but you didn't know. And now Sean Hamill will never walk again. And Casey objects because I don't think that's relevant in this case. And the judge is Georgie from Sisters, Patricia Callenberg. She doesn't even get to rule because Zoe immediately interrupts and says, if I could change it, I would. I made a mistake and I'm sorry. She's like kind of falling on her sword immediately about this. And now the grandma is on the stand saying how Emma was happy until eight months ago when she was, she became scared and lonely. And Zoe was either at work or at the hospital all the time. They asked if Emma could stay with them after school, but Zoe didn't like that. I wonder why. And that's when she made Kate write her will. Kate was getting sicker and sicker and barely recognized her own parents, but Zoe wanted full custody. So the grandma's trying to make it seem like Zoe like played a long game dated a woman for 10 fucking years, had a kid with her, and then waited until she got sick so she could have her write her into the will and get the kid. Like, what are you even talking about? The grandmother denies asking Emma to make false allegations against Zoe. She says she simply asked an unhappy girl why she was unhappy. Now Casey gets her turn in the ring and she shows grandma the will and goes, look, it's been co-signed by her ex, Ray Monahan, Charlie's dad. He thought she was lucid enough to sign the will. And the grandmother is like, Kate wasn't thinking clearly. She just didn't want to hurt Zoe. She was wasn't thinking about the best home for Zoe. And like, wouldn't you be thinking of nothing else on your deathbed? Like if you were dying, you're like, what's going to happen to my kids? You'd be obviously thinking of what's the best home for my child. And Casey's like, oh, the best home. So like the best heterosexual home. And then she goes, do you think gay people should be allowed to raise children? And the grandma says, ideally, no. I think children should be raised by their father and their mother. So Casey goes, you made these allegations up against Zoe because your faith rejects the idea of a gay woman raising your granddaughter. And the grandmother goes, it's not just faith. I've read about what happens, what will happen to Emma if Zoe raises her. She'll grow up sexually confused, promiscuous, and experimenting with homosexual relationships. And Novak's like, where are you getting all of this? And the grandma's like, studies. And she goes like, there's a study I read that said kids raised by gay couples are 48 times more likely to be molested by their parents, which is such an insanely fake statistic. Like 48 times is so over the top crazy. And she goes, where did you get these studies? Uh, I love Casey when she's like, uh, tell me more. Where did these fucking studies come from? And the grandma goes, my attorney showed them to me. And then the camera cuts right to the lawyer's face, Decker, and he looks busted. Like he's, he looks a little sick. And then they go, uh, she goes, when did he show them to you? And he objects, but Judge Georgie overrules. And uh, she says, during Emma's trial in family court, 
Oh, so just before you accused Zoe of abuse. Yes, what I read made me start looking for clues. And when we found the photos, we knew we had to ask Emma what was going on. And Casey goes, oh, and did your lawyer tell you what to ask? And he objects that this is a violation of attorney-client privilege. And Casey goes, uh, privilege protects the client, not the attorney, Your Honor. Judge Georgie allows it. Mr. Decker said to be forceful. Sometimes molested children need to be led to the truth, the grandma says. So then Casey says, Your Honor, Decker coached his clients into manipulating an abuse allegation out of a child. And he goes, I only offer advice. And Casey goes, they never would have accused Zoe of molestation had it not been for Mr. Decker. The judge is like, approach the bench. Decker goes, she has no basis. And Casey goes, watch this, bitch. You have a history of representing straight clients fighting custody battles with their gay exes. You fed your clients anti-gay material before custody was even an issue because you were gearing up for a fight. You conspired to keep Zoe from Emma, which means you have committed a hate crime. He says, that's ridiculous and you can't prove any of it. Judge Georgie goes, well, at the very least, this is a serious breach of ethical conduct. I have to remove you as counsel and declare a mistrial. Now we cut to Novak offering the grandparents a plea arrangement in exchange for their testimony against Decker. And they're like, why would we testify against him? And she goes, he manipulated you guys with faulty research. Gay parents are not 48 times more likely to molest their, ch- to molest their children. The article I read says differently, which is literally the problem with America. Like the article I read says differently is the problem with the United States of America right now um, because you can find any crazy shit anywhere that supports what you believe. The article you read has been debunked, honey. The guy who wrote it has been expelled from like the entire profession for misrepresenting stats. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Association of Social Workers always all say that kids raised in gay homes are just as happy as kids raised in straight homes. He lied to you to further his agenda and you and to make an example of the damage homosexuality is doing to society. And they're like, oh no, we just wanted to protect Emma. Enter Zoe, who wants to come in and speak to the grandparents. They start apologizing profusely. They're like, we just want, we're trying to do what was best for Emma. Casey stands up for them a little bit and is like, listen, James Decker was taking advantage of them. And I know it could be hard to forgive them. And Zoe's like, it's not going to happen. And the grandmother's like, please, Zoe. And she goes, you turned my baby against me. You convinced her I'm a child molester. How could I ever trust you again? Zoe walks out, grabs Emma, and they leave. And then as they're walking out, Emma briefly looks back and shares a look with Olivia. And that baby is Dick Wolf. Yeah. I kind of forgot this episode until we rewatched it. Well, I also thought that being a parent makes you less selfish. And it seems like everyone's very selfish in this episode. (laughs) No one is thinking of baby Emma. Nobody. Yes. Except wildly the priest. This is the one episode where a priest is the good guy. The priest was doing good. The priest was doing good. We we stand Father Justin. We love Father Justin. He's checking IM logs. He's counseling children. He lets you use his car whenever you fucking want. I love Father Justin. Um, Yeah, what a nice twist of an episode. Father Justin is correct. Um, The most kind one of all. Well, good luck to Emma. And um, listen to these ads. Yeah. she You know she turned gothic in high school, though. <laughs> totally. <laughs> she had a lot going on, and she's wearing black lipstick and a dog collar, and for she's sure. probably borrowing one of Mommy Zoe's, like, cool belts, like, studded belts. Like, she had kind yeah. of a rock star <laughs> wardrobe going on. All right. And, I can't yeah. wait for you to tell and me about poor- the real... Well, also, I'm thinking of poor Charlie. He's just crying at home alone. No one's paying attention. His mom's dead. Everyone's in court. His mom's just dead. Like, he hey. dumped a body. Like <laughs> His dad's like, you okay, kid? I got to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll be back. We'll be back. 
Okay, Lisa, picture this. You live in London. It's the 1920s. You've embraced your post-World War I independence, and you start dabbling in activities that were previously only for men, like driving. And do I have a chic chin-length bob? Obviously. And you carry a cigarette in one of those long holders. Okay, I love this for me. And I knew you would. And this isn't just a hypothetical. You can take on this persona when you play June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a New York socialite living in London. Her world is turned upside down when she learns of her sister's murder. June must immediately return to New York, and she has no idea that this is the first in a long line of troubling mysteries. You play June as she investigates design scenes set within lavish estates, and don't forget to keep an eye out for all the hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. So, listen, if you listen to our podcast, you obviously have detective skills, and now is your chance to test them. If you play enough, you could make it to the detective club, and there you can chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack this case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, um, so this, I'm going to go over a case and then a concept. So okay. we have a, a couple things going on um, with this episode. Alien. I didn't realize it was for alienation, and the whole time I was like, why is it called Alien? But now I get it. I know. At first when I heard of this, when we were going to do this episode, I was like, oh, is this one of the ones where like, People are like immigrants or something. And because, you know, like illegal aliens or whatever is like, I feel like what they used to call people. And I was like, oh, I bet this is like an old immigration one. My old green card says alien on top yeah, of it. Yeah. It was an I official was term. An, <laughs> I thought it was an immigration one, is what I'm saying. I don't think they say it anymore, though, do they? Because it just sounds so like rude. Well, I was three. So mine yeah. says alien. <laughs> Let's see what the green card says now. Green yeah. I'm just wondering if they got photo. rid of that, like, as I don't a think phrase. They did. I don't think they did. Oh, you're right. It says United States of America permanent resident. Okay. Okay. So yeah, no green card. I anymore. think that term <laughs> has been phased out, is all I'm saying. So I have a vintage green card. Yes, That's baby. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's frame it. I'm gonna I do look so sad and cute. Um, okay. I'm glad they're not calling alien. <laughs> like you come here and then it says alien. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but we're back to reality. This is the case of Sharon Bottoms Matz. And so Sharon was a central figure in a super long court battle in the 90s. And she ended up losing custody of her son to her mother after Virginia courts ruled that she was an unfit parent because she was in a same-sex relationship. 
so fucked up. This whole case is really fucked up. And it did change a lot of legislation. I think post this case, there were a lot of protections made. And then like, obviously gay marriage became legal. But this was a big bottoms versus bottoms. Um, wow. So this did influence a lot of things and was a big case. So in 1991, Sharon Bottoms gave birth to her son, Tyler Destow. I don't know how to say his last name, but his name is Tyler. And um, she was already divorced from the boy, the boy's father, and he was not involved in raising the child at all. About a year later, Sharon formed a household with April Wade and Tyler. And this was right outside uh, Richmond, Virginia. So she met April. They fell in love. They're together, and they're raising Tyler. And her mom, Kay Bottoms, was like, no, 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 no. You fucking lesbians. I'm gaining custody of Tyler. She's a homophobic bitch. Um, there's no real way around it. In quotes, the boy is a bundle of joy and shouldn't be raised by lesbians and calling another woman Dada. I don't care how my daughter lives her life, but Tyler isn't going to be mentally and physically harmed because of their relationship. It's unfit. So that's a quote from Grandma Bottoms. Um, the court case lasted for three years, and the Virginia branch of the American Civil Liberties Union handled most of Sharon's legal defense. Um, like I said, it became like a big yeah. start and a lot of stuff, and it scared the shit out of gay people all across the nation. So her lawyer was Donald K. Butler, and he said the intense news media interest took everyone by surprise and that, like, he was just being reached out to for so many interviews um, about the case. And, like, you know, there was a frenzy. Um, her former husband, Dennis, uh, testified in support of Sharon and believed that she should have custody. So the dad was like, let Sharon raise our child. And it was just like a fucked up case, like, in the courtroom because a lot of intimate and personal details had to come out. So Sharon had to admit, like, Yes, I've kissed Wade in front of Tyler. Again, who cares? They also forced her to admit that in private, she engaged in oral sex, which in Virginia counted as sodomy and was considered a felony and not decriminalized until 2014. Oh my God. So that's what they used to like take her son away. Oh my God. Yeah. The judge, Buford and Parsons, found that bottom mats and quotes conduct if illegal and immoral and renders her an unfit parent. So because she had oral sex with her partner in private, they said she's immoral and an unfit parent. But are heterosexual couples allowed to be uh, going down on each other in the great state of Virginia at this time? Um, I mean, if you wanted to take someone to court, I think you could, but I don't, I don't know. Wow. I didn't look for like other examples. Wow. Stuff. Well, of course, because it probably would never happen. Yeah. No. And um, so because of that, uh, Sharon was only allowed to see her two-year-old son from Monday morning to Tuesday night. Um, but she couldn't take him to the home she shared with Wade because Wade had no visitation rights. And in the deal or whatever, in the sentence, Wade was not allowed to see this child at all. And it sucked because she had a bond with the kid. And she has to meet her son because of all this. And like, she couldn't bring her home and she couldn't really afford hotel rooms all the time. So she had to meet her son at friends' houses or parks. And um, I love that the court and her mother thought a two-year-old was better without a loving parent for, you know, than a kid. Like, a right. two-year-old doesn't understand. Like, a two-year-old's not like, why are they gay? Like, they don't know what gay is. Like, two-year-olds would rather be with their mother. Like, yes. you're not thinking about the, like, about the child at fucking all. 
this, it's always about reunification. It's always about being with like your parent if there's no abuse happening. So it's like so fucked up that Virginia, the courts, this grandmother all thought a two-year-old would be in more danger with two just women. Like it really is so fucked up. I didn't know about this case. It was like so fucked up. So both Sharon and her mom did interviews with magazines and TV shows, but her, uh, so her mom lived in a mobile home in Spotsylvania County. (laughs) I just, Spotsylvania? What? (laughs) Do Dalmatians come from there? Like, I just, I wrote that in all caps. I was just really taken by the county's name. So the mom, one of the press things she did, she went on Sally Jesse Raphael's show and said her daughter was, in quotes, Doing drugs, she partied. She wanted to have a good time. I've threatened her many times I was going to take him. But in my head, I'm like, well, if she was straight, would that have been an issue, her partying? Like, you didn't go to court and say my my daughter is partying too much. You said she's a lesbian. Yeah. So, like, stop pretending that these are the things that made you upset when you went to court for something different. And I know for a fact, if this woman was straight, you wouldn't have cared. If she was still with Dennis partying... They would not have gone to court. Right, right. Like, fuck you. Sharon, she's still alive. We should go find her. So then Sharon was like, my mom's live-in boyfriend repeatedly sexually assaulted me. And the mom was like, that's a lie. Um, But Sharon said that she had been molested by her mother's boyfriend since she was 12 years old. Oh, my God. And no one cared. They would rather send her to a grandmother with a man who... Could have been sexually abusing Sharon for decades over a loving home. And could sexually abuse Tyler. Yeah. Then, in 1994, a Virginia Court of Appeals panel ruled unanimously that Miss Matz, a.k.a. Sharon, should have primary custody of her son. The state Supreme Court said that homosexuality alone could not be grounds for denying custody. Duh. But... You know, no excitement here. Her legal victory was very short-lived. The lawyer for the mother filed an appeal immediately. And also during this time, the custody arrangement never changed. So she still was only able to see her, like, on Mondays and Tuesdays. So the later court hearing, they, like, kept going to court. Like I said, this lasted forever. Um, So, oh, the, whatever. This judge, William G. Boyce, was not happy that Sharon and Wade cooperated with producers of a TV movie. And there was a TV movie made about two mother, it was called Two Mothers for Zachary. It aired Uh in 1996. But Sharon was not paid for the film. So, who cares? But also... The grandmother was on Sally Jesse Raphael. So, right. How are you punishing one person for doing Hollywood stuff and not another? I mean, it's all homophobia. Like, that's what's all of these semantic games and whatever they're trying to convince themselves of is like such all bullshit. Yeah. Um, but this movie starred Valerie Bertinelli and Vanessa Redgrave in September 1996. And so the movie became part of a case if anyone wants to watch it. So in 1995, the case of Bottoms v. Bottoms reached the Virginia Supreme Court and in a four to three decision, the court determined that the moral climate in Miss Matt's home made her under made her an unfit custodian at this time. I'm like about to throw my computer across the room. Yeah. Yeah. So the grandma got permanent custody of Tyler. 
It's no. like bullshit. That never happens. Like, Virgin, like fuck everyone. A justice named A. Christian Compton said that the conditions stemming from active lesbianism practiced in the home may impose a burden upon a child because of the social condemnation attached to such an arrangement, in quotes by the Washington Post. But the social condemnation is coming from you. Yeah. If you guys weren't socially condemning, she would be chill. The right. Tyler wouldn't know anything. It's like punishing a mother for how other is in the town bully without... It's the bullies. Because that's yeah. how I always feel when people talk about gay children of like, oh, it's higher rates of, you know, death by suicide and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but if you were nicer to them, they wouldn't be so upset. Yeah. They wouldn't have to run away from home and do whatever they needed to do to survive. Right. And then, of course, they're sad. Their parents kicked them out. Right. I... To me, it's like, how is no one seeing this that's living there? The social condemnation comes from the people punishing Tyler. Yeah, the social condemnation is coming from inside the house. Like, it's fucking crazy. Um, We're going to take you out of the home because you're gay and we hate you. Yeah. And we would not want your kid to find out and have to deal with your gayness. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. So, finally, in 1996, she abandoned her legal fight and never gave an interview again for the rest of her life. Sadly, Matt's died January 21st, 2019 in Richlands, North Carolina, at 48 years old due to cancer. Ugh. Little is known about her early years or what happened after 1996. According to Facebook, she married Bill Matz in 2012 and was the co-owner of a kennel in North Carolina. Her son, um, I think is now 27. I think this is up to date. Um, but he's in his 20s, uh, late 20s, and he served in the military. And I am thinking, like, how different his life would have been if he was just with his mom versus, like, obviously yeah. a hateful grandmother. Yeah. So it's like, I just don't understand why hate, like, why teaching your kid to hate gay people is better than just being gay. Yeah. But okay, so he served in the military. He lives in Virginia, and he did do a post tribute to his mother on Facebook and said she was my very first best friend. One of her last public quotes was to the New York Times in 1995, um, and it was quoted in the Post, in the Washington Post. She wrote, I deserve my baby. I gave birth to him. I want him. Like, isn't that all we really want parents to do? like, want and love and want their kid. So the grandmother is a nasty woman. And I think we should do um, a special episode where we go to Virginia and find this dumb bitch. And I hope this... Uh, and I tip hope her mobile home over. I hope Tyler doesn't talk to his fucking grandmother. What an asshole. I can't believe this is such a sad story. I really thought there was going to be like... Because like, at one point, it ruled in her favor. I was like, it'll go back to her, you know? Like, no, she fucking lost the rights to her child because of true homophobia, like nothing else. So gross. So now this is pretty interesting. So um, in the episode, they mentioned parental alienation syndrome. It's known as PAS. And what is so funny about this is I started doing research and I'm writing the stuff and I'm reading it and I'm like, hmm, seems a little off. And then I noticed that most of the information describing PAS is lawyers' websites. And all the lawyers are white man faces. And so all of a sudden, something rang and rang the alarms to me. And I was like, let me just see if PAS is credible. It is rejected by the American Psychiatry, Psychology. It is not 
a respected thing at all. It is used by mostly abusive men trying to diminish mothers who want to stay with their child. And so it's really a controversial thing that has been discredited and not like respected, but because we live in a patriarchy, it's, it's kind of like Jenny McCarthy with the vaccinations where this dumb bitch quotes an uncredited person and then everyone is like anti-vax. And that's what happened with the guy who created this. His name is Gardner or something. I'll obviously get into all of this, Richard Gardner. And he came up with this in the 80s and then it was debunked, but lawyers use it all the time in courts and it's really fucked up. So it also taught me how, like if I didn't, if I was if I wasn't someone that does so much research, I could have just probably like wrote PAS and lived my life and just told everyone about it. Thank God, I was is it got your spidey senses were like tingling. Well, yeah, because then it was something of like, well, I think I I do believe you should believe a kid if they say they're being abused. Like, I wonder what's going. And then all I'm telling you, I, I went. It was like four law offices, all men. But what about like, I mean, definitely parents do use their children as pawns and will try to corrupt their children. So are you are you going to get into that? Like that is something, even if well, it's not PAS. Yeah, so false, ac- so one of the stats is like, his whole thing was 98% of women lie about being abused. That was his standing. Okay. Okay. And then the Department of Justice said the real rate is actually 2%. So, you know, do parents... Like the grandma, that's the me. In the episode, there was PAS. Like the grandma tried, you know, tried to turn yeah, yeah. Emma against Zoe. And am I saying there's never cases where parents are like, your dad sucks. He's a piece of shit. Like all of that. Of course not. But I'll get into the numbers of like how many children die after being forced into an abusive person's home because of PAS defense. Okay, so PAS, we're going to pretend it's real. I mean, I don't think it's completely void of reality that if pe- that parents hate each other and are in a custody war would say mean shit about each other to their kids. Like, I don't think that's a yeah, thing that no, doesn't I mean, happen. Right. And also in like a world where Munchausen exists, like there are also parents that are like, I want you to love me and not your other parent. You know, like... So... PAS is a strategy where one's parents intentionally display unjustified negativity towards another parent to the child. It is a term coined by a forensic psychiatrist who is dead, but his name is Richard Gardner. And he said it was a phenomenon he witnessed where children were being turned against one parent. And it usually came up um, during divorce or bitter custody battles. Like, duh, when else would it come up? So it is not accepted as a scientifically valid at all, and it is not a diagnosable mental condition. Got it. Most of his work was self-published and non-peer-reviewed, and um, his evidence was all anecdotal. There was no scientific evidence for this. And his positions have caused a lot of controversy among those who are involved in the detection and treatment of child abuse. So a site called StopAbuseCampaign.org says that PAS is not based on any research, but rather the personal beliefs and experience and bias of Dr. Gardner, um, a guy who assumed that virtually all reports of domestic violence or child abuse must be false. They claim that in the 1980s, he would help wealthy abusers gain custody. 
And so they have a YouTube video. It's posted in the sources. And so here are my main takeaways from the Stop Abuse Campaign's YouTube video about PAS. And so this video was made in 2021. And they say from 2010 to 2021, 773 children have died as a result of joint custody and sole custody to a parent um, that is abusive. They say about 58,000 kids are sent back to abusive homes by the courts. And like I so, yeah, it's a debunked theory to say most accusations are false, but there's no basis in, in science or research. Um, but it has become a routinely accepted theory in family law courts. Like I said, that was the only place I found descriptions of PAS were male lawyers. Yeah. Um, and it's become a profitable industry on building a, like, so people have built full careers on this theory. And now it's become a huge obstacle for families trying to live an abuse-free life. And PAS is very gender biased. You know, mothers are carrying the brunt of this dude's theory. Because they're turning their children against their husbands. Correct. So basically a kid is like, my dad hits me. My dad hits my mom. My dad is bad. And they go, oh, you're a victim of PAS. Your mother has turned you against. And in this situation, it's like, in the situation of the episode, I feel like it worked because there was no evidence and she had never brought this up before. So it worked like as a like legit thing when Huang said it, you're like, okay, that makes sense because the evidence is all there. But like, because it wasn't something the kid had been saying from the get and there wasn't evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, And the grandma is guilty in this episode. And that's why yeah. SVU is such a good show. So more about this Gardner guy. Um, it's, it's just like one loud man with a wrong idea. And boom, abuse cases for decades are affected. Like I said, he testified in over uh, 400 child custody cases and fought for kids to be taken out of the home of the alienating PAS parent and give custody to the parents accused of abuse. Um, he worked with Woody Allen on that case other big cases. I don't know if I wanted to talk. To, yeah, I didn't add it. I didn't add it in the search, but you can find all this out. He advertised himself as advocating for the defense in child abuse cases. So take with that, which you will. Um, <sighs> but nonetheless, like I said, he was a professor of child psychiatry in the College of Physicians and Surgeons at Columbia University from 1963 until his death. You know that my brother went there and they call it PNS and it just sounds like penis. Like they just Wait, say PNS all the time. We, we got to ask Colin if he knows about this guy. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, he has a quote where he wrote, there is good reason to believe that most, if not all children have the capacity to reach orgasm at the time that they are born. What? Which is not true. And but, why is that? What's your good reason to believe that? Oh, is he's a this pedophile. man a pedophile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He believes that pedophilia is like homosexuality or bestiality or whatever, which those two aren't similar. But he thinks being a pedophile is just an orientation. And then once he was accused of being a pedophile, he did an interview where he's like, no, you could, you know, being a murderer is also a thing in your brain. I can... That you can I turn can, off like, and think, on or... No, he's like, I can think those things are ingrained in you while not supporting them. But he uh, believes that teens come on to people and what if the child seduces a man? Um, so oh he had a God. lot. Like, I just wrote one, but he has like tons of, in quotes from on the stand, interviews, in his books, writings, 
about how, yeah, kids flirt, they come on to you. What if you were seduced and that it's a normal sexuality and it doesn't have that much damage? And I guess he thinks that children can orgasm and he loves Woody Allen. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I bet he's been to Epstein Island. Um, He did die by suicide, which kind of cool, I guess, um, by stabbing himself at his home on May 25th, 2003. At age 72. His son said that he had been distraught over the advancing symptoms of reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which was a painful neurological syndrome that he got. And so- But like, aren't there pills you could take or something that doesn't like- Involve bleeding out for, like, your family to find you? Jesus, sorry. That's really a lot. We are shocked by cases often. We're always shocked, actually, on this yeah, show. But, but this, is I really, am... this is really shocking. I'm really glad that you followed your intuition, which is very you. You never you never don't follow your intuition, but, like— I'm just shocked. All right. I'm just shocked. Everybody just try to pick your jaw up off the floor and hang on for our interview because we've got a great interview coming up right now. Okay, our guest today is an actor who is frequently typecast as an evil bitch, but is in reality a very fun and lovely person. You might know her from her sitcom work as a regular on Caroline in the City, The Office, and Modern Family. You can currently see her on the new supernatural drama Wolfpack, but you know her today as rock and roll lesbian mom Zoe Dunlop. Please enjoy our convo with the delightful Amy Peets. We're so happy you're here. An iconic episode of SVU. It feels that way. It's a real <laughs> doozy. It, well, it is. I mean, one of our favorite things about this show, and um, very few people are able to achieve this, is one singular tear dropping. <laughs> yeah. And you you did that. So. Nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Do you plan for one singular tear or it just happens? Like, how does that... How you kind of stuck it? on this singular tear thing. I've I've heard you ask this of other yes. people before. <laughs> well, it doesn't happen that often. She's obsessed. <laughs> no, no, no. It's impossible to put. That's like saying, I'm going to have an orgasm, but it's only going to last a certain amount of time and I'm not going <laughs> to, you know what. But do you feel good, that good when you nail it? Do you, when they like. Yeah, it does feel as good as an orgasm when you nail that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got to admit. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, I'm really premenstrual and I'm very emotional. And if I can just imagine having one cocktail, I'll be open enough to cry. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Love it. What is, what is like, so how was the, what was the process of getting this part? Like they just sent it to you and they were like, hey, we think you'd make a great lesbian mom or like what? Did you I audition? cannot What's remember the... if I auditioned or if I was offered this because I was kind of like hot for like 10 seconds in my career. <laughs> I, I wish it would have lasted at least 60, but it was really only 10 seconds. So I don't remember. I don't remember auditioning for this. So it may have been an offer and I was thrilled to go to New Jersey and work there with Chris Maloney and Rishka Hargitay. And I thought it was going to be pretty great. And it was, it was, it was really great. Maloney and, and Mariska were very intense, very quiet, very professional. And I just felt like goofing off all the time. And I had to like 
I had to be really serious all the time. I had to squelch my natural instinct to oh, goof around. Interesting. Interesting. Because we hear that about Maloney, but we hear Marishka can kind of loosen up and be funny sometimes. But... Yeah, she was warm. She was definitely yeah. warm to me and and lovely. Mm-hmm. You know, but if if I had to do a procedural, I would have to change my entire personality. There's yeah. no way I could survive that for as many years as they did. Well, this was also like this season was like, I would say almost like the height of the whole series. Like seven oh. is like, it's, I think it's the season Mariska won an Emmy. Like it's really like they were turning it on at this point. Like uh, really uh. banging out some of the most classic eps are in this season. So you should be proud to be part of such an iconic season. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so proud. This season, <laughs> and, and this episode, I, I watched it again because I hadn't seen it in forever. And I laughed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The lines. Oh my God, the writing was hilarious in this episode. Yes. What were your highlights? It's really in the beginning. The first act, I think, has the funniest shit in it. Not only were there lines like, what were you doing down at the store? They got pixie sticks. (laughs) <laughs> uh, to, to like two cops. T- one of them uh, has a thing for pixie sticks just because she's cute. Ugh. And, and Paula Garces, friend of the pod. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's been on the podcast. <laughs> that was a hilarious line. There were many hilarious lines. When, when uh, Belzer held, holds up scissors and is like, are kids able to touch these? Like, like kids aren't allowed to touch. It's like an AR-57. No, it's a scissors. Yes, kids are going to touch scissors. All their investigative stuff in, in Act One was hilarious, and the camera angles were even really good. I, I just, I loved it. Well, I do. Another thing that's, I don't know if it's funny or not. The kid was wearing a wig. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That and have funny. you have you Googled her? Because I was really curious about this girl, and she's like a some singer, like a like a hotsy totsy singer now. Oh, okay. I did Google her, but her IMDb looks like it was done. So I didn't look further, but I guess she's singing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On her this IG, she's got a bunch of followers and she's singing. She's so cute. She's all grown up. I know. I love that girl's face. And she was really sweet. And her accent was so thick. She was like, Mommy, what are we doing? We're in New York. Did you Do you have any stories or bonding moments with the child? With Raquel. I mean, this was so what, like ago. 20, <laughs> yeah. 23 years ago? Well, I also have another wild question that's considering how long ago I feel like it might be crazy to ask, but let's ask those crazy questions because my long term memory is completely shot. So when <laughs> Maloney's like showing you the pedophile photos, you're obviously oh my God, not looking. Yes. Do you remember, like, yes. what was it just, was it anything? Okay. Well, what do you mean? Was it anything? Was it like, pictures what, of anything? What is, like, like, was he show, or was it yeah. just pieces of paper? What was it? Yeah, no, there there were pictures of like a little girl on her side. She wasn't naked or anything, but like they were the real pictures. But what cracked me up the most about that was I, I used that scene for my reel. And one of the things I couldn't get past and I almost didn't use it was because when I'm crying and he's showing me the pictures, I say something like, um, what do you think this is? Porn? But because my nose was stuffy, it sounded like I said, what do you think this is, corn? <laughs> but you you obviously didn't pick up on that. So maybe no, I was the I only one who heard corn. it. I didn't hear corn. I thought you said porn, but... Okay. All that's right. good. Didn't do ADR, so it must have just been me. <laughs> well, I guess the first, what else was funny to me that the grandma at the end thought that you guys were going to be friends again. Yeah. It's like, 
you falsely accused me of molesting my daughter. We're, <laughs> you literally, we're not going to be tight, lady. You brainwashed her to think that yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. Not only was that weird, but the little boy that torments her, like basically attempted rape and, and some kind of sexual assault because he kissed her. You know, he's like, I'll turn you Straight, uh, prove you're not yeah. gay. I'll turn you straight. And nobody deals with that. Do they? No. No. No, everyone's just, this poor boy will never walk. This poor homophobic boy will never walk again. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, Stephen Bogardus, who plays the attorney of the grandparents, mm-hmm. he, and, he and I later did a musical together. He is a lovely individual. And I was just trying to think of, of other people I knew in the episode. Hey, what musical were you in? We did a musical called Falsettos, uh, which he did on Broadway. And then the LA reprise version of it, uh, I I played another lesbian in it. So that was I was kind of typecast as a lesbian in the 90s. It was either slut or lesbian, and the two were very very close together according to society and casting at that time. They just thought, well, lesbians must be slutty. So we can cast Amy as both a heterosexual, quote unquote, slut and a lesbian. And that was so versatile. Yeah, wide ranging, wide ranging (laughs) arts played there. But now I just play really nasty, narcissistic bitches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that fun? Uh, You know, no. Gotta say no. It's it's. I've played so many of them now that um, and people treat you differently on set. You know that whole thing of like they kind of assume you are the character. Oh. Even the crew and other actors just assume you're going to be a narcissistic bitch if you're playing one. It's 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 weird as you age, and you know they you look sort of like a an entitled Karen, and then they just think you are. Right. Interesting. I can't believe that happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, it happens to me at airports with like airport security. People just assume I'm going to cause some kind of major (laughs) hassle and call the manager and make a scene just because of how I look. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're all profiled, aren't we? People don't think I belong in pre-check sometimes. And I have to be like, I am. I'm in. Clear. Oh, really? Yeah, or like I am diamond actually. So <laughs> I'm back. I'm going here. They don't believe that you have racked up that many miles and you're that much of an expert traveler, huh? Yeah, like recently the guy was like, "You're going in this line." I go, "I'm actually not, sir." But <laughs> <laughs> but I do dress extra insane at the airport. I wear my iced tea sweatshirt at the airport. Nice. So I think that might give off a vibe that I'm not aware of. That might be a little... <laughs> you're not a serious person. Only serious yeah, people get pre-checked. unserious, yes. I think that is the vibe it gives off. <laughs> I would give anything for that iced tea sweatshirt. I love that. But I'm more shocked that the crew, since you would think they know that it's acting, that they would separate you from your narcissist character. I have to overcompensate. I have to be like extra warm and like bake them a bunt cake, you know, and like bring it to set and do feet, foot massages or something, which I used to do preemie too. No, I'm kidding. I never did a foot massage. <laughs> but like, I really have to, to like smile a lot and be all Midwestern so that people know I'm not really that, that nasty bitch they think I am. 
you were on, like everyone kind of now fantasizes and reminisces that that was like the best time on television and that everyone was just like rich, popular and living the life. Completely. I mean, it was the easiest job ever because you work about 36 to 40 hours a week. You know, you you roll in at 10 a.m., you get fed lunch and breakfast and all the snacks you want. There was a gym under the stage. So if I wasn't rehearsing, I'd go down and like stretch and lift a few weights. (laughs) Then I'd go to my dressing room and do my nails. And then I go back to the stage and just like goof and be funny. And um, yeah, it was the best. It was the best. Like uh, uh, there wasn't, I don't know, 6,000 channels. And so people really were watching your show, you know, like tens of millions of people and um, they paid great, which they don't do anymore. And it was a great, easy life. Yeah. If I could go (laughs) back, I would. Well, and I mean, and like to get even more base, just networks bought sitcoms. I mean, it's not even like, they're not even really like sitcoms like that anymore. I know. I don't think they, well, because I think they started sucking. I think they started making them really poorly and they thought that a sitcom was just joke after joke with really um, mediocre actors. And it's supposed to be based in the theater. It's supposed to have like, it's supposed to be the trickiest 22 minutes, the most clever 22 minutes. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be a really challenging art form. And they took it for granted, I think, because they, they didn't, they didn't know that shit. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Because yeah, live audience, like kind of the way it's set up, it does make sense. A lot of those sitcoms were Well, don't you think the older ones are phenomenal? You know? Yeah, I mean, Seinfeld, like so many, all these shows like still hold up. Yeah. Leah Thompson has, has been in SVU. She has. I'm sure we all have. Haven't we all been in SVU? Well, we've talked to, um, uh, you've worked with Steven Weber. A lot. He's yes, an SVU alum, friend of the pod. <laughs> He's a hilarious, charming, wonderful, very man. charming. Oh, we had the I best fell, time with him. I fell for him. Yeah, we were. Excited. I know. He's a charmer. Had a crush on Stephen Weber forever. We were in Chicago and we sent him an email. We were like, come meet us out after our show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he did. He probably didn't because he well, knew he that. he said he had, an er- he had a super early call time. We okay. were like, okay, well, you can't true. like look bad on Chicago Med or whatever it is, you know? Oh, come on. How old is he? He can look bad for a day. <laughs> it's not going to make that much of a difference. It's the same with me. Now I don't care. I'm like, yeah, puffy eyes. That's just a part of it. That's just a whole wrinkly, puffy, saggy thing. What difference is it going to make? <laughs> Love it. You're fun. <laughs> You're fun. I can't believe you guys are doing this podcast. It's brilliant. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's crazy. This exists. <laughs> and yeah. to explain the whole damn plot, can I ask you, is this already written or do you guys have to like literally- Oh, we write it in our own voices. No. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. After this, I'm um, not for this episode. I'm researching the crime for a different episode. And like, I have to go watch an episode and like type out exactly what happens or whatever. So, yeah, we- I mean, there some episodes there exist synopsis online, but I can't imagine if like we just got on and just read those, no. you know? No. Yeah. We research and we research the crime. Tomorrow's crime's good, but we were at a comedy festival all weekend. And so we did not do our work ahead of time. 
Okay, gotcha. I understand. We were, You're busy we ladies. Were social. We were networking pretty hard into the early, uh, early morning hours every night. Oh, it's comedy networking, quote yes. unquote. Gotcha. Networking. gotcha. We were, I did mushrooms <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You're in another one of our favorite shows. You were in the series finale, Dexter. Ah, yes. Yes. You could you could feel the tension between the two leads. I think they had just divorced. Yes. Riding in the van. That was a little tense. Give us the tea. Give us that Dexter tea. Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I just tried to keep my mouth shut. That's one where you keep your head down when you know that they're in the tabloids for having just divorced and you just don't, I just didn't want to talk to anybody because I thought, knowing me, I'm going to be like, so how's it like me? What's it like working yeah. with the guy you just think And that would have really sucked for both me and them. So <laughs> I had the sensibility to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I mean, you know, I do a lot of little guest pop star things here or there. It's yeah. it's much more fun to do the the regular jobs where you can include people as your family and you get to stick with them for a long time and they get to see you at your best and your worst and you can goof around. That's way more fun than just popping in for a day and trying to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> trying to keep your mouth shut. And it was a wild one because it was like the end of the it was the last episode. The whole finale of the series, yeah. So were you yeah. there when everyone was like crying during their raps and stuff? Again, I think it was more of a tension thing. The tension overtook yeah. it all. And I'm sure they were all distracted and like onto their other projects and mix, had mixed emotions. It is, it, it, you know, people get, it, it can be a grind. The one-hour drama, being a regular mm-hmm. on a one-hour drama can be a real grind. For them, especially when you don't get to laugh as much as I get to laugh when I'm a series regular on other genres of shows. And so, you know, you see a lot of tired actors, you know, at 5 a.m. in the makeup trailer. And um, then they're tired in the middle of the day and they, everybody has like six coffees to stay awake. And then at the end yeah. of the day, they just cannot wait to get out of there. And so, yeah. It's way more fun to be on a sitcom. It is way more fun. You prefer sitcoms. Okay, cool. Interesting. Do you like the audience of it or just in terms of comedy? You like the live audience. Yeah, I do a lot of theater as well. But if I don't have a live audience and I'm on a single camera comedy, um, which really means five cameras um, instead of the four in a sitcom, then the crew is my audience. And so if I can get Mm. the crew to crack up, then, then I feel just fine. I feel like all is right with the world and I can, I can breathe. And that's what you want. You want, you know, you want to see the camera shake a little bit or people covering their mouths, stuff like that. That's fun. Are you, so are are you based in LA? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are you, do you do theater here then? Or do you like go out on the road and do like, like other cities? I do both. Um, did you know what I just read? Los Angeles has does more productions of theater than New York. Really? Yes. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't mean they're all good, but hell, yeah, I've, they're happening. I've seen, I've seen <laughs> crap in New York too. Um, yeah, so I do. I do theater in LA. I do a play every couple of years. Um, the last one I did in LA was at the Mark Taper. It was Sweat. Then I just did a new play workshop up in Ashland, Oregon, for a new Lisa Loomer play. I did a I did designing women for the stage 
Oh, um, which one were you? I was crazy. I was the Delta Burke role. Like, you wow. can't believe that. I know I'm definitely more Annie Potts, but um, yeah. So I played the Suzanne Sugarbaker role in an updated new uh, play written by the same writer as the TV series, incredible woman, Linda Bloodworth Thompson. And she said it when Biden got elected So and COVID hit. And it's all the same women, but they're dealing with uh, the politics of living in Atlanta and having Trumpers and progressives all together. And it right. was it it was really funny. Wow, they're still doing it uh, in other cities. Um, so they they would love to take it to Broadway. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think I'll be a part of it. <laughs> I think that's what they would intend. It was too long three three hours long. That's a lot of designing women. Um, That's a lot. When we're all used to, we're all used to really just an episode uh, at a time. What are you, what have you, what do you have going on right now? I mean, your IMDb has uh, stuff on it, but we never know if those are correct. I, uh, yeah, I recur on a show called Wolf Pack where I play a narcissistic evil bitch. And um, I'm the sort of the Mary Tyler Moore and ordinary people mom to one of the wolves, uh, poor kid. He, um, yeah, I really did a number on him in his childhood and <laughs> it's so bad that he needs a superpower to survive me. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I bet he'll kill me. Um, I, I've been told, but I would think, I would think I'm not going to be alive. I'm really evil on the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then as I mentioned, I am developing my own show, a big ensemble. How do I say it? It's about white Christian national trying to destroy our democracy. So I got that going on. Those are not and, a comedy. <laughs> um, melodrama. There'll be some there'll be some true life comedy happening there and true life crime and true life uh desperation. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Exciting. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Would you be in it? If Marissa Tomei does not get the role, I will play it. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I want to know your perspective. You seem honest and in it. What are your, like, when you show up on set, what are your big, like, red flag pet peeves where you're like, oh, this is going to be a day? (laughs) Um, they, they have been the, the aforementioned silence in the van from the, uh, place where you, I, I mean, I don't want to use too many technical terms, but after you get your hair and makeup on and you're getting, you're going to set, if there's a bit of distance to travel, they put you in a van and you all travel together. And if it's silent in the van is going to be a long day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and then also what's very telling, and then I know how to prepare. I just stay away from the leads because shit travels downhill, right? So somebody up at the top is making everybody unhappy. I, it's either one of the leads or one, or one of the producers or somebody up there is an asshole. And so you just have to keep your head down. Keep your mouth shut, show up and do your job and go home. Okay. Stay away from the leads and chat well, in the van. <laughs> if if they don't if they don't say hello, yeah. 
that that's a good that's a good sign that you probably just not attempt to ever say hello again. You should write a book, right? Do people tell you that a lot? They do. Not about that. They tell me to write books about all the other horrid affairs and and experiences I've had. But yeah, <laughs> I probably would get sued. I'm. Vi- you're right. I I you know I'm a little honest about that stuff, and that's known as libel or defamation. I'm oh. I'm sure <laughs> there'd be some legal reason I would be in trouble. So it's a good thing I don't write that stuff down. No, I can't wait. I hope your show fucking crushes. I hope would so, you yeah. rather have Marissa Tomei or would you rather be in it? I would rather be in it for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm 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 it's very autobiographical. And um it's one of the most fun roles on it on in this series that I am writing. And it's kind of the comedic relief but but very tragic Mm. so it's a good one it's a good one i would love to play it yes yeah you two could definitely play like sisters for sure have you been going up against her like your entire career no because (laughs) she got super famous and then i just stayed in tv and then got less famous but i remember (laughs) i remember waiting tables in chicago and I hadn't even gotten on my first series yet. I was working at the Goose Island Microbrewery. And I had the most vivid dream of Marissa Tomei. My cousin Vinny had just come out and everybody was like, you look like Marissa Tomei. You look like Marissa Tomei. You act like Marissa Tomei. You're like Marissa Tomei. So I had a dream that that the dream opens with me, the POV of me, my hand knocking on a trailer door. You know, a, a trailer where actors go and hang mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And I'm knocking on the trailer door and Marissa Tomei opens and I'm, and I look down and I've got like a headset on my head and a walkie talkie and I'm the PA on a movie that she's shooting and she's the star of. And I remember thinking she's going to surpass me and I will be upset about this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. You're psychic. Oh my God. I'm psychic. <laughs> but I haven't been a PA yet. So a production assistant yeah, yet. That's yeah. not, I don't think that's in the cards for you. Who um, knows? <laughs> thank you so much, Amy. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, gal. I loved her. I want to hang out She's with her. Fun. Yeah. I want to do everything. I want to talk shit and gossip and make fun of things and maybe, I don't know, have a mojito in the backyard. She's fun. I want to see her get cast as like Marissa Tomei's like fucked up sister or something. Like Marissa Tomei's the good girl and then she's like the one that can't get her act together or something. I want to see that. A hundred percent. I'm going to write that show for them. I mean, um, as much as we love Amy, this episode is so infuriating. I know. There's a lot of like whys in this episode. (laughs) Like, why are you sending your child to Catholic school when they actively hate what you what you stand for? But um, you know I already talk about the Hillsong documentary on this podcast. Yeah. Okay. I forget when, but we did. Okay, great. It's just when people are like, oh, I can't believe this church is uh, patriarchal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. What do you think was going to happen? I just don't get pushing your kids, but I meant the infuriating more of the true crime. That in oh, the well, 90s, that was, in the that 90s, a grandma just snatching her daughter's kid. What? Because she's like, it is, it's bonkers that that happened. And it is, 
I don't know. Everything it's, is it's terrifying. It's really heartbreaking. Like, I really, I really hated hearing about that. But um, I mean, are we boycotting like Target? What are we doing? You know what? It's tough because I read this whole Twitter thread from a trans worker at Target who was like, yeah, move the display to the back. I don't want to get shot. I don't think it's, I need to get shot for this performative allyship. Like who, like Target's been forever supporting gay LGBTQ community. They have done it forever. Like just because the stuff's not right in the front, I don't want to get shot. I don't think my life is worth getting hurt by these people, which I understand their point of view. But I also feel like let's get security and get people out of there. The minute you touch a display, you're fucking out of there. But you never know. I mean, it's like they're too fast, these people with guns. I also I also don't live in an open carry state. I don't live in a state where, you know, I feel like guns are just everybody fucking has a million of them. So I'm not, I, I'm speaking from a privileged place uh, where I go to my Target and I feel pretty safe. Yeah, I just, the hateful people really have sway, dude. Like, I heard the stocks went down. Like, it's just, it is because it's been pride shit at Target for years. Yeah, well, alcohol brands go gay every June for years. I know, but like everything, it's complete miscommunication. With Dylan Mulvaney, they sent her one Bud Light can and they thought, this trans person is going to be on all my Bud Light cans. And that's when they went crazy. It's not true. I don't know why you care, but it's also not true. They also, for the Target thing, they thought that there was tucking uh, tucking bathing suits being sold to children. They're not. They're in adult sizes. They're not for children. Like, so everything's misinformation. They all just get misinformation and they're all like dumb and can't think critically. The bigots. So yeah. it's tough. It's really tough. But I understand Target wanting to keep their employees safe, but I also understand the idea of not kowtowing, like don't negotiate with terrorists. But actually, our former guests of this podcast, Rochelle Lefebvre, was going through it because she put up on her Instagram because she has a non-binary child. And then every all these people were coming at her in the comments about her non-binary child. And it was fucked up, man. There's just a lot of gross hate out there. And... um it is. And for us, too, it's like all we do is research how the straights are out there killing and molesting. Like, yeah, all all of our evidence points to it's your dad, it's yeah. your uncle and it's your pastor. So Truly, I don't like know have what we you barely want. ever had a crime where it was an LGBTQ person, <laughs> like barely. Well, we'll maybe try I, because I know we're Eileen Warnos. I think Eileen Warnos was into women, but, you know. Yeah. She did what she had to do. But guess what? She was also abused by straight men. Yes. And a whole town of straight people. It's just like, I don't know. It's so hard. I can't believe they ripped this child out of this mother, loving mother's hands when people, you should be so lucky to have great parents, you know, loving parents. It's all just so fucked up. I like, you know, one, it's hard not to spiral. I'm back in the spiraling phase of life. Yeah. <laughs> it feels um, very spirally. It's not good. Yeah. It's really, um, it's tough. And like, I mean, uh, yeah, like I was starting to spiral yesterday reading about how Trump, if he gets elected, says he wants to get rid of birth, like, right, basically, like the amendment that says if you're born in the U.S., you're a citizen so that people stop, you know, so that immigrants stop coming and having babies here. And I was just like, no. And like, I was reading all these Twitter comments. I mean, Twitter is so horrible now. I got to get off. I got, I really got to get off. It's fucked up. Um, But this episode 
We learned a lot. I mean, we learned that. I mean, the thing is, I <laughs> we bash religion a lot. And I know some of you do like church, but I'm still, I think it's dumb. And that's, you know, that's your right. Other people can't, can, and other people have said like, you know, there are good parts of church. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. In this specific case of these fictional people, I think it's strange. I, I do, I also yeah, do Yeah, the think grandma, guess who loves Jesus? The grandma, yeah. the worst one of all. Is lying not a sin? I'm sorry. I thought yeah. lying was one of the mortal sins. I don't understand it. Yeah, bearing false witness, et cetera. I don't know what the different sins are, but- um. I you know agree. This, you know the seven deadly sins. Ugh, yeah, only because of the movie Seven. Oh, you're but right. No, but that's different than the Ten Commandments. Yeah, right? I switched. Yeah, yeah, I meant the yeah. commandments. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seven Deadly Sins. I literally just go through the movie Seven, and I'm like, okay, there's sloth, there's lust, or there's the America's Next Top Model um, episode photo shoot too. Oh, they did that. Well, it was actually really, really fucked up. And I bet production did this on purpose, but it was the seven deadly sins, but they were posing in caskets that were lowered into the ground. So they were literally in like a graveyard deep six feet under in a casket doing seven deadly sins photo shoot. But one of the girl's friends uh, took their own life the day before and she like found out crying hysterically her friend died or overdosed or something. And then they made her film at the graveyard. Like, sometimes that show is like fear factor. (laughs) I really feel like sometimes they're like, how can we get these models to absolutely have a nervous breakdown, like doing something with heights or something gross or whatever that they don't, cutting their hair, I mean. (laughs) But yeah, in this specific case with these fictional people, I don't see why you would want to, if you have a family dynamic that is outside of the church's teachings, why you would feel that that is super important to teach your kids when there are, and I, in this episode's older, but now today there are like multi-faith or like there's LGBTQ friendly churches that like welcome that and like, you know, probably have schools attached that would not, would teach you faith-based practices of loving your neighbor and this and that, but not tell you that it's a sin that your moms are together, you know? And also the parents of the boy, you raised a shitty kid. I'm sorry he can't walk again, but like he sucked. And He's damn, not an Emma innocent really victim. got it in there. Emma really got that that those scissors in there to go to sever the spinal cord. It's like, Wait. damn girl, you're seven. And we do love the pastor that let everyone use his car. Never mind. We do yeah. love him. We <laughs> do love him. See, there's a good part to every religion. There's a good part for every grandma that's brainwashing their daughter and their granddaughter to thinking that her mom is a child molester. There's a pr- there's a pastor who lets everybody drive his car. We love that. Um, and I think we learned in this episode in terms of uh, parental alienation syndrome, make sure you uh, check your sources, double take, read twice. Yes. Well, this actually leads me perfectly into our What Would Sister Peg oh, Do? Wow, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> Which um, you guys know is our weekly segment where we direct you towards like an article, an, an organization, a doc, a blog post, something to help you give, to give you more info on what we talked about today. And after we recorded this episode, like a, a day ago, I was scrolling and I follow ProPublica who does great work uh, that I believe is like community funded. They do really great in-depth like, articles about injustices happening all over the world. So they released an article called A Court Ordered Siblings to a Reunification Camp with Their Estranged Father. The children say it was abusive. 
a long title, but we're going to link to it in our stories. And basically, it investigates a reunification camp called Turning Points for Families, which I believe is in Texas. And its alleged purpose is to repair the relationships between alienated parents, uh, like children who have been alienated from their parents. And the camp specializes um, damage caused by parental alienation, they say. So as we know... It's a dubious psychological theory at best, not accepted in courts. And this, even though it is, like it's not, but it is. And this camp's methods are very controversial and mysterious. And this is why it's so disturbing that they're requiring estranged parents and their children to attend. In this specific article, they required the kids to attend. After a couple of days, they did not want to do it. They really hated it. They got brought to the hospital during the, during this uh, short time. The mother was not permitted to see them during this time. And it just, it, feels really crazy. And I really want you guys to read this article because it elaborates a lot on what Lisa discovered, which was, oh, people are using this defense, but it's not medically accepted or accepted by any psychological institutions. So um, if you'd like to know more. Yeah. I am horrified. Yeah. And it's, you can go on over to ProPublica or as always, the link is in our show notes and in our Instagram in the What Would Sister Peg Do highlight that we put up that's um, always there in our Instagram. But really, really wild. And I'm really glad that Lisa kind of stumbled upon this being not good. (laughs) Well, and this reminds me, I haven't watched the Randall Emmett Hulu thing yet, but I'm just going off of like Lala at the Vanderpump reunion, but it's this thing of like, and I've heard bits and pieces of the doc where he wasn't at the birth. He like left her there and was like, whatever. It's not like the kid cares till five. Like, so, and what she said where she was like, I could never get him to stay home. And then when shit hit the fan, I couldn't get him to leave. And now he's fighting for you know, custody of a kid he didn't even want to be around. And it's all, like, it's all just a game and control. And it's not about the kids at all. The custody is about controlling her and making her feel um, like he owns her. Like, honestly, that is, that is it. Like, Randall does not give a shit about being with that kid. No, and we just, I don't understand why we're supporting it. Like, as a culture, it's just like, well, what about the dads? Fuck those dads. I don't know. Well, that's fucking, that's patriarchy. I mean, like, just the fact that this is mostly used as a defense against dads. Are you saying that dads are never talking shit about the moms? Dads are never trying to tell their kids that their mom is crazy? Like, come on. It's just really dark and twisted. And it's like, you guys want moms to raise the kids. And then as soon as this, then, then it's not. It's like then if they step out of line. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I'm going to read this camp thing and get mad. You know, I'm not mad enough day to day. Okay. Um, Next week, please join us. We'll be doing the episode Privilege. Season four, episode 17, Hulu, Peacock, which is my new Lord and Savior is Peacock. The, I'm, I pray to the altar of Peacock. To give us uncensored reunions, I want to hear Andy Cohen say fuck all day long. Like, Oh, yeah. We thought Peacock was going to be CISO. And then Peacock is now better than anything. Peacock is good. Wait, somebody talked about how HBO Max, they dropped HBO and now they're just Max. And then somebody tweeted, your move, Peacock. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Sorry, I can't credit the tweet. I just saw it like uh, off the cuff. Um, But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Come see us us live. live. We'll see you next week. Bye. That's 
Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. 